On today's show, we are getting to know Elizabeth. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to know Getting to hope you like me Because I'm good enough Getting to know you Putting it my way But nicely I'm smart enough You are precisely And doggone it My cup of tea And Elizabeth is a northern neighbor for me Coming from Canada Thank you so much for um, I don't know, connecting with me And being willing to come on the pod I really appreciate it Yeah, thank you Thank you for having me. Um, so going through your Instagram and I hadn't done, I try not to do it until like the day of so that my reactions are like a little more fresh and it's not like pre-planned questions. Um, super intimidated by your books and your postings. I feel like <laughs> you're definitely on the higher end of the intelligence spectrum, if not definitely the curiosity spectrum, because it seems like you're into a ton of shit, man. And I don't even know where to start other than why do you read so much? What is the point? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question that I ask myself often. And I truthfully didn't read all of that much until this past year. Uh, I, I uh, did an undergrad degree and a master's degree. And after that, I just, I didn't want to read anymore. Yeah. And last year I got connected with um, actually a real estate investing group. And I saw that they were reading a ton of different books, getting all kinds of information. And I really was trying to increase my knowledge around 
finances, investing, and just trying to be a better person all around after meeting those people. And so I started stalking other people's Instagram pages to see what they were reading so that I could kind of experience the same mindset growth. And I eventually came across uh, this one particular person who was reading all kinds of interesting stuff. And I dove down into a couple of the books and then I just couldn't stop reading. Um, So in the last, since June, start of June, I've read 37 different books. I've listened to probably 50 or so podcasts, maybe more. And I just, now that the growth and expansion has happened, I can't slow it down anymore. I just want to keep going. Because you've broken the whole like, like it's no longer, what is it? When you first try to do something, it's like make it a part of your routine. Then it becomes a habit. Then it like transforms to a lifestyle or something. I butchered it, but I know there's like multiple steps of if you can do it for so long, just like if you can stop doing it for so long, it'll just become natural. And then nature, the universe, this vacuum appears and fills it. Well, you filled some sort of void and now it's like a craving. Absolutely. And it really is a craving. If I don't, I find if I don't have my morning routine, particularly, particularly on the weekends where, you know, I have more free time. If I don't sit down and read with my coffee first thing on a Saturday morning, I get like almost anxious, like jittery. I feel incomplete, but really is kind of like an addiction to reading and expanding my mind and and also checking the numbers off too. (laughs) Oh, are you a list person like that? Where you're like, you set that goal, that list and you start getting like, you feel more happiness (laughs) each line that goes through the item. I definitely get more happiness when I cross something off a list, but I didn't set a specific target. Like I didn't have like, I'm going to read 50 books or hundred books. It was just, I've read, I think I had read 22 by October. And I was like, well, I'm at 22. I might as well just see how far I can go. And so I just kept going. Dude, and it, uh, it, it's so much better than my routine of eating cereal and rewatching like a series from the night, like 2000s. Like I just finished Sopranos and I'm like, why? It, it's really an internal battle where I like, in, it's almost like dessert where you enjoy it. And you have to be careful because if you're like, oh my God, one more episode, you're like, dude, do you really need like another scoop of ice? Do you need another Sunday? Do you need more sweets? Can you just have like a couple cookies and call it a dessert? And I, I've, I mess with my own mind because then I'm like, you say you want to like read more stuff, but eh, you kind of like pawn it off on, I'll just listen to somebody smart talk on Joe Rogan's podcast while I go for a jog and work out. <laughs> And like, that's, that's my compromise. And I feel like I'm missing some sort of potential that I could have. And, um, I'm curious all that like lengthy wind up to be like, do you feel you have to read? Cause you feel like you're going to miss out on something or are you just like naturally guilty and hard on yourself about like be better kind of a thing? No, it didn't start off that way. Uh, it was just like, I like reading. I'm going to level up on this amount of information or whatever. But now that I've read so many things and I've learned so many different things, and I've, I'm sure you've looked at the variety of books that I've read too. It's not just one particular topic. Dude, it's a bunch of genres. <laughs> I I, I yeah. don't even think I knew any of the titles. If I was going, no. like there was nothing where I was like, ooh, thought about reading that. 
which is again one of the cooler things for me is like now i know where to go if i'm like in the bookstore being like hey man like maybe i should actually read a book this summer while i'm on the beach let me see for some sure. cool shit that's on her instagram sorry but no yeah it's it, it's a smattering yeah and so now it's gotten to the point where so i'm 35 i'll be 36 in a couple months and i feel like over the last eight months i've grown so much and prior, I feel like I've done a disservice to myself by not having read as much in earlier years. Like I'm, I've missed out on so much information. And now I just, it's not that I feel like I have to, I just want to try to get as much information as I can and just keep growing. Yeah. How's, how's the audio listening for you versus the sit down reading? Because in my head, like if I'm audio listening to a podcast, audio listening to a book, I'm always also doing something else. So it's like I'm never fully in the moment. I might hear a couple things, but then if I try to explain what I heard on an hour and a half podcast, I'm like, the dude made a lot of money because he was smart about what he put his money in. And you just feel <laughs> stupid as you explain it. You know, where if I read, I remember headings. I'll highlight shit. I'm underlining. I'm rereading. If something's confusing, I never like, wait, let me rewind 30 seconds and re-listen to that. So I don't know if that's just me like having a hearing disability <laughs> for reading or if you like have that similar struggle. I would say I have a, a similar struggle if I'm listening to an audiobook, which I did listen to a number of audiobooks in that time frame. Like I'd be listening to two or three different books while reading a physical book all kind of simultaneously, obviously not at the same time, but in the same time frame. Just juggling. I'm that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'll get bored of a topic and then I have to switch and, and do something else. But I find if I'm doing something like going for a walk or washing the dishes or something that doesn't require a lot of concentration, right? although I do drive and listen to audiobooks, so that's kind of contradictory, but um, something that I can sort of just be half present with, yeah. um, then I can listen to the audiobooks. But if I'm cooking a meal, like following a recipe or doing anything that requires some level of like higher attention and concentration, I can't do it because then I'll, I'll just zone out. And I listen to all my audiobooks at 1.5 speed. Oh, do you really? I've... I do. Oh, like, because? Because it's, <laughs> because it gets you through them faster. And I, I discovered this. I was listening to uh, Michelle Obama's book and I think it was 13 hours long. And it was somewhere near the end of that book that I realized that you could actually change the speed. Oh. And I sped it up. She, she talks quite slow anyway. So I okay. sped it up to 1.5 and I was like, holy crap, I can actually blast through these books way faster than I thought. <laughs> and then I just didn't stop. So now it's an addiction. Now it's an addiction. And Obviously, if it's somebody that talks really fast, like Michael Malice, I have to listen to at regular speed because he talks really fast in general. Yeah, I was thinking like and, Ben Shapiro. When I listen to him, like on podcast or if I'm whatever, scrolling through talk radio, like and he comes on, I'm like, wow, man, I couldn't imagine him at 1.5. Yeah, no, it would be impossible. Okay. And you can, with Audible, you can bookmark different spots. Right. So I'll go back. If I hear something that I'm like, oh, I need to remember that, I'll go back and I'll bookmark it. I have no idea how to retrieve those bookmarks, but I, I know how to apply them. 
that's like that's like when you download all the free books on Kindle <laughs> and you're like, I'm definitely gonna read this. And you're like, wait, where are all my free books that I downloaded on Kindle? I know the art of war is in here somewhere. <laughs> like, oh there it is. There yeah. yeah, it's it's a funny thing that I I've really been battling like, do I wanna buy a PlayStation 5? Right? I have a junky PlayStation 4. I kind of do my like zone out thing where I try to do a half hour hour. I have like an old school Nintendo console that you stuck stick into the TV. I'll play like Mario or Zelda. And then like I hit the age where I was like, almost like you where I'm like, come on, man. Like really like, do, do you, don't you have enough leisure in your life? Maybe you need to add some more productivity. And for some reason, I think you become old when you care about assets. <laughs> <laughs> like when the word asset really means something to you. And if you buy something and immediately think like, does this enhance my life or is this going to depreciate my life? And like, I remember having those self-talks and I'm curious what got you into, like, were you always kind of that mindset or was there a particular thing that happened in life where you were like, fuck man, I got to start being better about my financial literacy or about like future planning. I think for me, so it probably goes back to 2017 or so. I was married and um, my ex-husband and I ended up separating in 2017. And so I was out on my own kind of there you go. <laughs> purchasing property and all, all that kind of thing. And I, I started reading a little bit back then um, and was kind of focused on like, long-term goals. So when I bought my condo, I said, I'm in five years, which is coming up next year, I'm going to make this a rental property. I'm going to start building wealth. I'm going to have, you know, equity that I can take out of this property and buy another one. But I had no idea exactly how to do that. And then a friend of mine, like I said, uh, I got him in, into this real estate investing group. And it was really through a friend of mine who was trying to build his own personal wealth and, and quit his job, his corporate job. Um, and so he shared a lot of information with me and I was like, this is a way that I can learn how to scale my long-term financial goals is through real estate and things like that, which truthfully I haven't done a lot with at this point, but I'm still kind of finding my sea legs there. And so <laughs> it's okay. His, like, did, so, yeah. well, I'm actually curious cause I've not heard of a, and I'm assuming I know what it is, but a real estate investment group, bunch of people proportionally put money together. And then you're like, Hey man, we'll rent it out. We assume the same proportional risk of the investment, but we also claim the same proportional amount of profit. Yeah. So that's how a lot of people do it. But so this group that I was involved in was actually more like a club of real estate investors that all came together to sort of motivate each other and inspire okay. each other to do more and trading money back and forth to complete their projects and things like that. Um, so I just essentially joined this club to attend. They would do weekly Zoom calls and stuff like that just to learn from other people and bounce ideas off of and network and things like that. Got you. Dude, that's cool. Mm -hmm. do you, did you ever wind up I know you'd said you're about a year away from the condo. Did you, do you have a rental or do anything like that? Not yet. So <laughs> I, I tried doing some private lending. Um, oh my God. Which, and yeah. Was, like I, again, I just finished the Sopranos and I'm like, 
I don't know how you privately lend anybody any money unless you're willing to knock on their door, grab the hardest object that is on their counter and smash them over the head when they don't pay you on time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, a learning experience for me. Um, and actually I just, I just got the money back today. Oh, no. um, Congrats. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> it feels like a win. No doubt. Um, like break even, or did you make a little bit on like, what did you get a little return on it? Yeah. So I got, I got interest back. Um, I, it was a 15% rate of return. So it was a great Take that. return. Yeah. And I didn't have it lent out that long because I, I lent it out and within a few weeks got really scared. Like I was, I was pretty confident when I went into it, like, you know, <laughs> slap the bank draft on the, the table and that kind of thing. But, um, after a few weeks, I saw that things were really starting to shift in like the global economy and even the Canadian economy. And I started freaking out. Um, so I ended up pulling the loan back and cashing it out essentially, um, which I feel a sense of guilt and embarrassment and shame about. So I'm trying to work through those feelings because uh, it was supposed to be a six month term and I, I lasted about two months in a week um, <laughs> before I needed to pull it back. Can, so can, if you're cool with it, I'd like to understand a little more about that because number one, I never even thought about like, hey man, I there's actually a formal way to use some of my discretionary cash and put it out there. So I never even thought about that. And then when you're talking about like a six month term and the bank involvement, do you mind sharing a little bit about the process? Cause I'm like, dude, I, so I have a rental sure. property. So, I'm like, it's a pain in the ass to even find renters. And I don't even know how to vet people well. So I'm like, I couldn't imagine if it was straight money and I didn't have like, keys to the place or my name on the deed, you know, that's why I'm curious. Did I lose you? We've froze a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a storm down here in Delaware, that Nor'eastern things coming up from the South. So my internet, I'm in the country can be kind of shitty. It's all good. I think we're back. So yeah, the process. Um, so there's actually a book that I read, <laughs> shocker, um, <laughs> which is called The RRSP Secret. And so in Canada, we have, I guess, which would be the equivalent to your 401ks, we have registered retirement savings plans, so RRSPs. And there's this book that I read called The RRSP Secret, which essentially tells you how to maximize your retirement investments through private lending. So it can be a couple of different ways. Um, one of them would be to do a secured lend. So you're essentially taking whatever money you have, giving it to the borrower, and you would be um, securing it against the property. So you'd pick like, you know, 70% loan to value on this property, whatever your cutoff range is, which would be based on your risk tolerance and you would secure the money to the house. So if they default on their loan, you take the property and then you have to sell it to get your money back. Oh. And then there's an unsecured loan, which you can't, so for the RSPs, you can't do an unsecured loan. It has to be a secured loan. 
Um, but you can do an unsecured private lend to anybody at any point in time. And it's basically done on a promissory note. So you're putting your money out there with a piece of paper, an IOU essentially. Yes, and yeah. uh, Robert Kiyosaki, the rich dad, poor dad was the one that <laughs> sparked that idea in my brain. Um, so you put your money out on a prom note and it's, you know, you get it back or you don't. And which one? There's not a lot of recourse for that one. Yeah. So, okay. So then that's the one that I'm scared like crazy, but then I'm assuming, cause there's no collateral, the interest, if it does get paid back would be like a payday loan. Do you guys have like those payday loans up there? The predatory yeah. lending process where it's like whatever fucking 50%. Yeah. So I'm wondering, yeah. is it basically that jacked up of an interest rate on the IOU one? Typically it would be somewhere between 12 and 20%. Okay. So it's really not even that high. I mean, yeah. you could probably do it higher if the person was a really high risk borrower. Gotcha. Um, so I did, I started with an unsecured private lend on a promissory note, which put it all on I, black. I, Let's go Vegas. It's exactly how I felt. And <laughs> truthfully, like I'm thinking about telling you this and I'm just scared of like judgment from certain people in my life if they listen to this podcast, but you know what? I have the money back. I didn't lose it. It's all good. So, um, well, and you even know what the feeling feels like, right? So like you can have this like pragmatic logical sense of, Oh, I've run some numbers. I've crunched it. I've had this reliability and this probability. And then you know what it feels like when you're going through and you're like, that's way too scary for me to deal with at that number, you know? So whatever it was $10,000 by, I am not going through that feeling again for 10 grand. I would do it for five, you know, like, so you start to find your own range and I don't think you can know your range and limits until you actually have the fear and it's real of loss. So absolutely. Plus what price can you put on the learning process too? So on top of the return on investment, having the knowledge is an extra, however you want to quantify it percent. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely learned that my risk tolerance is a lot lower than I thought it was. Although, oh, we do kind of have a bummy internet connection. And and anytime soon. Um, And if I are we good? It was a little bit. You sounded like you were trying to get financial advice with a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> you know that like gurgle thing where you get like single syllables in like a delay? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it might just be a little bit of the storm or it might just be Canada and the US. It might be the war since everything gets blamed on the war, you know? It's probably Russia's fault, for Russia's sure. Fault. They, they have a lot of bandwidth because they finally figured out, hey, if we're going to invade a country, maybe we'll use our smartphones to have directions about where we're going. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe it took them four weeks to figure that out. Um, no, so you, I heard risk tolerance and definitely you're finding out that your risk tolerance is way lower. Yeah, it's way lower than I thought it was. Um so if I were, I, I'm glad I did it. If I were to do it again, which I probably will at some point in the future, um, I'm going to make sure it's a secured lend. So secured against a property uh, with some kind of collateral. And the 
people that I lent to, they're, they're really sharp, like real estate investors. I trust them. I even with all of that, I still like internally, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. See, that's where I would fall short is like the, Hey, you're sharp. I'd like, I, I'd be the dude that posted on Craigslist or something, you know, or found an ad like brilliant guy. All I need is 20 grand to make us both millions. And I'd be like, let me meet this guy for drinks. And then I'd be, I'd be sucked in, in like 10 minutes. I'd be like, dude, I love your plan. Let's roll. Let's let uh, here's the check right now. So I'm curious with the ones that have collateral, I'm assuming like, does I'm assuming the bank does a little bit of vetting and brings you clients or am I wrong about that? Like how is the connection made? So usually it's through these uh, different like investing clubs and real estate investors that all know each other will bring each other lenders or people will ask their friends and family to loan them money so that they can do like flip projects or buy multifamily properties and things like that. So that's where I've got to get way more social. I wonder if there's one of those things, because there's a fucking real estate boom like none other down here in Southern Delaware. And I wonder if there have to be, there has to be those kind of things around me where people are just looking for some straight liquid cash. Hmm. Oh man. Yeah, it's happening like every two minutes. I'm so sorry, Elizabeth. You know why I bet this is happening? I think we're... Sorry, I'm... I think we froze there. I you know. said there's a real estate investment boom in Delaware. Yeah, and so there has to be a group like that because there's a ton of different developers and just rich little companies that are churning out corn, turning flipping cornfields to full developments. And we have this whole like, we have no rentals thing. So there's a bunch of older homes that are that aren't in communities that are outside of the cornfields that get bought up real quick, and I bet you they're getting flipped at some way. I just don't know about it. So yeah, I probably how did how did you find the investment groups? Did you search like on Facebook or you were getting coffee one day? No, it's like the fifth time we've frozen. Hmm. I don't know how to solve it. You seem like you're stuck in space right now. And it looks like your internet connection is good. It looks like my internet connection is good. And it looks like your face is completely frozen. That sucks. blacked out yeah did you solve a problem i don't know i don't know if it was me <laughs> no it just quit and then restarted on its own so we'll see <laughs> we'll see if that's better cool i mean like it's funny man because again like the technology is so basic i just look at the little bars and it's like hey you're on five zoom bars and my wi-fi is at full strength so i'm not yeah, too same sure here is what it is. It's the gods. They don't want us to help each other make money and better our lives. Yeah. You know what? If that's possible, because <laughs> it's not about the money. I'm realizing it's not about money. Um, 
but yeah, go, so going back to the finding the real estate investing groups. So my friend found the group through, I think, Instagram or Facebook. So he connected me. Um, but then once I was involved in that group, I've just been connecting with all sorts of different real estate investors in the area and even ones that are further away. And I know for sure that there are similar groups that operate in the United States. Yeah. Um, So I can definitely share some of that information with you if you're interested. Yeah, man, might as well. I mean, like it's, so with my um, job as a teacher, a lot of times throughout the day, I'll do reading at night about different stocks. And I'm on fidelity.com and um, especially during COVID, um, I was like, might as well get into day trading. I actually got pretty into it the year before where I had made some decent money, discovered dividends, and then I'm like trying to balance short-term stock flips. I think like swing trading versus like, oh, let me take some of my long-term money with some up-end dividends, trying to get stuff at like 8%. Then I discovered the dividend calendar, which was the worst fucking thing I could have because I'm like, how come everyone doesn't do this? And then it's like, oh, because companies try to dupe you with high dividends right before they know their stocks are going to crash. <laughs> so like got caught up with a little bit of that. And then I'm like, great, I have this really shitty asset. Let me just wait two years. Hopefully I get it back, you know? But all that to say, like I've wound up putting basically all of my discretionary into stocks at this point. And I'm like, even though there, I have a diversity of stocks, I'm like, why not maybe take 10, 15, 20 grand and just see if that can get a decent little return and just compound that. And now I'm learning another part of an asset or another part of a business and I'm accumulating different assets. Um, so yeah, I think that would be really cool something to get into. For sure. And I, I was listening to another podcast not that long ago. Um, it's this couple that... I've met in Canada. They're part of this real estate investing group and they essentially have found financial freedom and they've spent the last six months traveling in Central and South America. Um, So I was listening to their podcast because I was like, I'm going to try to follow these people that I want to eventually be like, (laughs) like these are my heroes of the couple (laughs) world. And they talk about um, the diversification of their investments and they, they break it down right to the percentage of how much of their, I guess, net worth is in different areas. So crypto, stocks, real estate, uh, small investments into different companies and things like that. So that was super eye-opening. And, and that's what I'm going to be doing next is looking at my total net worth and, and how it's spread across different things, especially with the way that the economy is going. I think there needs to be a lot of safeguards in there. Right. Um, yeah. See, something I've not pulled the trigger on that I want to, and I might get into it this summer because that's the beauty of teaching and having summers off is I try to do something to get closer to financial freedom, whether it's educate myself or whatever, relocate my assets, lower my monthly debts by analyzing like, oh man, fuck, you're paying like 40 extra dollars for this service or 10 extra dollars for this service, you know? Um, but using equity in a property that I still have a mortgage on, Right. And it's like, that is just money sitting there and you're not really earning anything on it. But I get so scared of like, cool, I can, I already have the mortgage. So that's already a debt. And I'm kind of clearing money as long as rent's getting paid. But if I don't get the rent paid, I'm fucked. And then, well, maybe not fucked, but like 
I can kind of pay it, but then I can't save anything else. Like I'm, I'm, I'm taunt, you know, stretched super thin. I couldn't imagine having like an extra, whatever, $400 a month payment because I want to take out 70 grand hoping to make 550, you know, like I'm, I'm, I think I'm more like you with the risk tolerance that I, I want to be able to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's exactly how all these real estate investors do it is they'll have their various properties and they, they keep the mortgages like essentially as high as they can get them and just use the equity from those properties to buy more properties. And so that that money is always being put to work. And then with your own personal equity, which is what a lot of them are doing is, you know, taking out a line of credit or refinancing their properties, getting some of that money back and investing that to put their money to work. Because like you said, you, you might have like 80% of your mortgage paid off, but all that money is sitting there doing nothing. The banks are making money and you're not. Yeah. So. I feel like if I had, if I had the rental property paid off, like if I just had one that I knew if everything went to shit, I have a house, right? Like I don't have, aside from like whatever little county taxes um, that you owe on it, like I wouldn't, I'd be fine. But I feel like, I don't know, man. Like, and then that's where like part of me is weird. It's like, dude, you're, you're, you have a graduate degree. You're a teacher. You know how to wait tables. Like you're probably never going to be homeless. Even if you make a lot of really bad financial decisions, you know, like <laughs> you play this worst case scenario. You're like, ah, process takes a while. Maybe you throw a couple hundred for some good faith stuff and you won't really get evicted. Maybe your credit shot, maybe, but you know, like life's not going to end. And, um, I just don't, I got to get better circles. I got to diversify my circles of conversation around it. Cause I don't have a ton of people that I can talk to, which again, goes back to your group thing, which is just putting yourself out there a little bit. Did you feel dorky just being like, Hey guys, I want to learn from you. <laughs> or were you like confident going in there? At first. And even now I feel dorky but also a bit like an imposter i have imposter syndrome real bad um but all the people in those groups everybody that i've met has always said make sure that you're the dumbest person in the room because that's the way that you're going to grow if you are the one with the most knowledge and i don't know anything but if if you're the one with the most knowledge you're never going to grow so you have to surround yourself with people that know what they're doing and you know risk asking stupid questions or whatever, you know? Yeah. And then they want to let you in because you in turn, not, not to like dehumanize, but like you're now an available asset to them. So if you're coming to the table with money, they're willing to give up some of their knowledge and expertise because hopefully they can use you (laughs) and your resources to help them in some part. Exactly. But you also, I think when you're getting connected with those people and you know, and starting to reach out and trying to get their knowledge, it's important to also add value in some way to whatever the interaction is. So like even snacks? if it's crudite, <laughs> really good ranch dip, <laughs> like that would be exactly, <laughs> I'd, be the, I'd be the beer guy. I'd be like, all right, man, I'll buy, I'll, I'll get the case this week. Let's meet up. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of these people, they just, they're so excited about their own wealth and growth that they want to share their knowledge and information with everybody else. But that's um, a good point. Like, what's the point of having it, right? Like if you don't, if you can't flaunt it a little bit. Exactly. Something to be said for that. Yeah. God. All right. You're inspiring me. You're inspiring. 
really are, man. So like, I mean, like the other day I'm looking at all these franchises and I'm like, I wish I could just go to, for us, it's like Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is a fucking money magnet down here, man. Like it is, it's insane. They're super cheap to open, but from what I understand, they like have a higher percentage that you wind up kicking them compared to like a McDonald's or something like that. I'm like, dude, I'm not trying to run a Chick-fil-A. What I am trying to do is be a silent investor and I want to find the person who wants to run a Chick-fil-A and is like 10 grand short and be like, dude, I'll throw you 10 grand. I want 10% ownership of your business. Like that's where I was at. But then I was like, what do I do? Google who wants to open a Chick-fil-A, <laughs> right? Like that. So like I, I, I immediately cut myself off. And if I'd have been in a group like this and you add that topic, I feel like, oh, Hey, I know a dude, my neighbor or this person. And like, that seems to be the step that I'm missing. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And so if you can get connected with different people, everybody knows somebody that needs something. Right. Um, so you'll be able to find those people or, or learn that maybe that's not the best route to go. Uh, and for me, my next step is to actually look at what my long-term goal is and what I want my life to look like and then reverse engineer it to see what I need to do to make it happen. The backwards planning. I was going to say, yeah. I went to the stock investor and it was the stupidest I'd felt and it, I just giggled. And I was like, hey man, like when I called Fidelity, I was like, you know, I want to open up like a stock market account. And they were like, oh cool, well what do you want to do? And I was like, we'll make money. They're like, well yeah, but every, <laughs> like, yeah, and they do the giggle and I'm like, yeah, but like how much? And I'm like, uh, money? Like I just want more? And they're like, well, the best thing you can do is like, you gotta have a goal, like a very specific, I want this to equal this. Cause then that's how you know you have success. And I'm wondering like, do you have, you say you wanna reverse engineer it, but do you have some smaller things where you're like, first goal is to make $1,500 a month or $3,000 a month in passive, or do you know how much annually you gotta make to have some sort of like, I feel like I'm comfortable. So I'm getting to that point where I have a bit of a sense, but I still need to map it out a little bit. So right now um, I'm in the process, like I said, of reverse engineering it. So I want to really see if I want true financial freedom, how much money do I have to have in order to make that happen? Whether it's 1 million, 2 million, 3 million, obviously those numbers are quite small. I'm 35. I have a lot of years ahead of me. Um, but I think in order to start living the lifestyle that I want, I need to start generating more income. And I work, I'm a healthcare worker. So right now I make a set amount of money. We have a 1% wage cap increase right now because of our provincial government. And so I need to oh find other sources of income. So I'm looking at starting side businesses and things and yeah. looking at, there's a, a gap of about four grand right now per month that I need to fill um, to be able to do the things I want to do in the short term. And I can only imagine when that's going to be kind of in the long term. Um, yeah. Once, so, once you get a taste of real travel, like have you ever flown first class? I'm so scared to fly first class. I was in first class once when I was 15, I went to Whistler BC with a friend and her dad was a pilot. So we flew, uh, standby and we ended up sitting in first class for that flight and it was awesome. <laughs> How do you ever go back? Like it can never be the same. So like I bring that up to be like, I, 
I can't imagine the expensive habits I would become accustomed to. Like all of a sudden my, I feel uncomfortable if I go over $15 for a bottle of wine down here. Like I feel uncomfortable. What happens when fucking $30 bottle of wines are like the norm? You know, like, I, I, do I want that to be my norm? Oh God, it, it, why am I so, why am I such a sissy? <laughs> you know what, I was looking at wine tonight and I think the bottle that I bought was a $16 Canadian. Uh, so not, not that expensive. I generally err on the side of the $20 bottle, but that's because I get migraines from the cheaper stuff. So I, I have to buy the expensive things. Uh-huh. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that there's, there's a lot to be said about wealthy people. When they're becoming wealthy, they're not living an expensive lifestyle. They're yeah. frugal as fuck. And, and a lot of the people that I've connected with had really frugal lifestyles before they made their millions of dollars. And now they could be more frivolous. So I think cutting back the unnecessary expenses and freeing up that money in the short term so that you can make it go farther is super important. Have you gotten into the stock trading or Bitcoin? So I've, and because I like to say everything up with a stupid personal story, I guess I, I heard about Bitcoin, whatever, when it was like literally at a grand and people were like, it was coming up on like Yahoo finance and just different Twitter things. And I, back then, like a grand actually meant something to me. Like I'm, I'm fortunate enough now where like, if I lost a thousand dollars, I, I'd be a little mad, but it's not going to change my life. If I did it a couple times in a row, it, it would mess me up. Right. I didn't pull the trigger, talked to my boss about it. My boss was like, no, nah, you need real stocks, get real estate. He's a principal. I don't know why I listened to this dude. It was just in conversation. All it took was that one dude to be like, nah, not really. And I was like, ah, never mind. And now whatever, 40 grand. And you're like, yeah, maybe my two grand would have been 80. Would have been cool. So yeah. I'm wondering, have you gotten into the day trading, swing trading, stocks, Bitcoin? Like, where are you at with that? So with stocks, I dabble a little bit in stocks, but it's, I'm very, very, very much a beginner in that. And I, um, we have, I don't know if you guys have it in the States, but we have wealth symbol here. So it's basically like Robin hood, um, where you can buy stocks pretty quickly. You don't have to have a lot of money to do it. You can get penny stocks. You can just dabble here and there. So I've done that. I haven't done any day trading, all the things that I've bought. Um, I'm planning on holding for a long time, gotcha. but in terms, in terms of the things that I'm in now, I may eventually dive into it a bit more, but right now I'm just not comfortable doing that. So I've done a lot of research into different starter stocks and things that have had long-term growth and are expected to continue to grow. And I've just thrown some money in there. Gotcha. Where I'm targeting most of my money right now, though, is probably in Bitcoin. Um, still? Still, like what yeah. the fuck's they trading at now? Like fifty grand or some shit? Uh, yesterday I want to say it was like fifty-eight thousand Canadian. So it was probably I'm gonna pull it up here and look. But um, I didn't start getting into Bitcoin until last summer too, when I met all these real estate investors. So they, these people, like, not just from a financial perspective, but these people have changed my life in ways that I can't even describe. And it's pretty exciting. So Bitcoin is at 45,000 US right now. Okay. 
So, and I started like hearing about Bitcoin, I think back in 2017. And I remember making a joke. I was working at a bar and the owner's son was going on the computer and he, he was talking about Bitcoin. I said, oh, are you mining for Bitcoin? And he was shocked that I even knew what that was. And at the time I had no idea what that was. Yeah, it was just a phrase, <laughs> right? Something you yeah, I was just like, oh, trying to be cool. There's a um, bear market coming. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I started um, buying Bitcoin last year and I bought some Ethereum. I bought an NFT and just have totally dived into that realm of possibility. So I, what fucks with me about Bitcoin is I feel like this is super unfounded conspiracy theory stuff because of the energy that it draws and the fact that I've literally read stories about motherfuckers losing flash drives and see ya. Not, like no course of recouping ever. And the stories out there about if the system gets hacked kind of a thing. And you're just wondering like, does Putin own, is Putin really the guy who started Bitcoin? Is it Kim Jong? Like who actually is the founder that one day is just gonna pull this plug and has the ultimate like Trojan horse code to take it completely away? Or what if the government says it's sucking up way too much energy, we're shutting it down? Or what if they make their own cryptocurrency and they like mandate that you can only purchase with particular currencies. You have to be like this weird rebellious, like moonshine type barters to get shit with your Bitcoin. Like I, God, the more I talk to you, the more I realize I'm such a scaredy little bitch. <laughs> I think it's reasonable to be scared, but at the end of the day, it's just money. Same. And there's a lot of other currencies out there in terms of our time, our energy, our effort that we can use to get through life. Um, and that's why I, I'm realizing that money's not everything, but with Bitcoin, I mean, there's, I think China, and I don't know much about those parts of it, but China, I think, is trying to regulate it. They're trying to create their own cryptocurrency. Yeah. And I know a lot of countries are trying to regulate it right now. Um, but if they're trying to regulate it, that tells you something. Yeah, I think they're that scared means, of it, man. Yeah, totally. But and like, then you look at El Salvador, and they, that's what they're using there. I didn't know that, really. Yeah. Well, dude, a lot of those, and I forget, they're not, they're not Latino. The South American countries... Like the in all you wake up and all of a sudden they're burning money because it drops like the ruble if you invade Ukraine. And so, I mean, like the stability and support of something global for those kind of economies, I would assume would be welcomed because it adds some sort of like that is their FDIC, right? The fact mm -hmm. that it's trendy, they now don't have to actually base their currency on their dysfunctional government system. <laughs> they had to base right. it on miners. Yeah. And with, I mean, with our current fiat system, like our dollars are essentially worthless because the government just keeps printing money at high rates. Like, I don't know what our debt load is in Canada right now, but it's like trillions of dollars and it's just, they just keep printing money. It's just made up, dude. Inflation hits yeah. our gas down here is up to like $4 a gallon. And all the governments, all the state governments with inflation, fucking prices going up like crazy. Like we're going to give everybody 300 bucks 
And you're like, so you're just going to get all this extra money and give it out. Doesn't, isn't that exactly what causes inflation? We're just giving more supply when we have too much. That's why the price is rising. Aren't you supposed to respond with that with scarcity? But what the fuck do I know? Yeah. And that's where Bitcoin comes in handy. Because if the current system collapses and let's say this is like Bitcoin, the blockchain doesn't get hacked and nobody shuts it down and you don't lose your flash drive and you don't forget your 12 word passcode, that money is safe and you can use it and you can transfer it to anybody across the world. Yeah. I don't get why it can't be traced back to you if you lose it or like if you lose your password, right? Like how come if it's so open sourced and everybody can track everything? The one thing I don't get, I, I guess there's two things I don't get about. One, how come you can't tell me what I have if everybody has the knowledge? And two, how come it's like seen as almost like this illicit, you can buy anything with it and no one will know? Because I thought it had to be traced with whatever like your server thing is, your username, your login. Yeah, I think it is more traceable now. And I know even when we file our taxes here in Canada, they ask about cryptocurrency and things like that. Um, so they're essentially wanting you to declare it. I don't know why they created it so that you can't recover your password and things like that. And I remember reading about a guy who forgot his password and lost millions of dollars. But that's part of the security. It just means that nobody can hack you. Nobody can hack you. I, right, maybe, I guess. Maybe. I don't, man, I, yeah. I'm 58 levels below understanding like I think I could point out a server but like I'd have no idea like what's inside of it you know like that's my level of expertise on it um there was a dude uh in London it might have been six months ago maybe a year ago that I read uh somebody was cleaning out his room and they threw away a USB port with uh like two bitcoin that was worth like 20 million dollars did you hear about that story no he offered the town half of it if they would let him, he was going to secure financing and like basically excavate the dump to find a USB port. And he was like, yo, if I find it, I'll give you half. If not, I'll cover all the costs of unearthing all this trash. And the town was like, yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> I was like, oh, like $20 million. 20, just see ya. Yeah. I'm too fearful. I, but like, again, like how cool would it be to be the guy that has that story at least? Cause that is a type of currency in itself, social currency that you get to be that guy with that story. Absolutely. What? And I think at the end of the day, you just have to decide what you feel comfortable losing. Yeah. And, and knowing where you're keeping that money and knowing that inflation just keeps going up and your dollar just keeps becoming less valuable. Yeah. If you bury it, right. If you, that, that's one, another time I felt like I was smart when I was like, wait a minute. So like my savings account, when they pay me interest, like that was the golden word as a kid, like, Oh, get, get interest, get interest. And you're like, so I made my first thousand. I put it in my interest payment comes in and I have $1,000 and three cents. And then you go to get a loan and the bank wants to charge you like 8%. And I'm like, wait, dude, I, you have a thousand of my dollars. So if I borrow a thousand, I have to pay you $1,800 back. Like that makes no, you make $800 and I get three pennies. What? And you realize how fucked up the system is. And you're like, nah, dude, you should not let other people use your money. 
to make money for them. You might as well take on the risk yourself. Exactly. Yeah. What would you do? The financial freedom. What is your like Monday? If you don't have to, if you don't have to worry about money. (sighs) It's such a, like, I have this clear vision of what I want. Um, I would be, first of all, living in a warmer climate. I'm so (laughs) over winter. My Monday would consist of waking up, drinking a coffee, reading a book, probably in a hammock or on a beach, um, doing some grounding work, like meditation, yoga, whatever, scuba diving, connecting. Like I I would still want to work. Um, I would want to have a business. Uh, I, like I said, I'm a healthcare professional. My, my calling is to connect with people. So I'd be, you know, connecting with my clients, working with people, giving back to the community, gardening for sure. And that would be my day. Like just growing food, growing myself and connecting with the earth and other people. Simple. So basically you just need to move because couldn't you do all that stuff anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why do you need financial freedom? Just leave Canada. Well, yeah. And so that's part of what I'm thinking of doing right now is uh, I've been exploring the cost of living in different countries and what that would look like and the infrastructures that are there and the safety and security that's in those places and how I can take the equity and things that I have now and transmute that into another country and see how far it can get me. But I think I would still have to invest in a way that gives me cash flow and continues to build wealth. Because like I said, I'm, I've got a lot of years ahead of me and I, I just started with this financial stuff recently. So I don't have like millions of dollars that I'm sitting on just waiting to be used. Should it be nice to have hundreds of thousands of dollars at my point? I, I felt like a gangster when I had tens of thousands of dollars, when I like paid off my car and I realized if it broke, I had enough money to go pay cash for a decent car not like a bmw or some shit but like i get a decent used car without a payment i was like fuck man i've made it (laughs) like it was it was a good feeling how much is like canadian healthcare? is that does that matter in your choice is that one of the things keeping you in canada the free healthcare stuff no (laughs) no i so so our healthcare system, and this is going to be a sensitive topic because I realized that I'm on an American podcast and I realized that you guys spend ridiculous amounts of money for your healthcare, but our healthcare system truly is broken and it, it sucks. And if I, if I could pay right now to get access to the things that I need faster, I would. Um, and I guess it's, I could go to the States and do that, I suppose. Um, but it's, it's so flawed and it's, in my opinion, it's crumbling and it just keeps getting worse. I've been in healthcare for 10 years. And even when I was in school, we knew that there was major issues with it and we're just, we can't sustain it. It's, it's wild right now. Interesting. I immediately thought of teachers and it's funny cause I, I, I flash back to when you said I get a 1% raise on my cap. I didn't even think about that. So as a medical worker, are you technically like a government employee? 
essentially, yes. So the hospital itself that I work at is a private corporation, but we're funded through the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care, which is a provincial funding source, which gives the hospital money to pay us. So they mandate how much money we can earn and how much of an, uh, a raise that we can get every year. And back in 2019, the provincial government voted to have a 1% wage increase until 2024. So just before the pandemic hit, they're like, hey, you get 1%. They knew. They, they knew. knew. They knew. They knew. <laughs> until 2024. <laughs> and and so our, our provincial system gets funding through the federal government. So the federal government, they're trying to change the way it's run now, but the federal government essentially filters money into each province. And then the province divvies it up through different channels. And there's a lot of administrators that are making a shit ton of money. I was going to say, that's what happens. Yeah. And the people that are on the front line are working their ass off. We're all overworked. We're all burnt out. We're all getting overtime. And only 1% wage increase when inflation is like, what, 8% or something? Yeah. Um. So much. that, And I, I don't want to like peg you as a healthcare like expert, but I'm curious, is there incentive to be a doctor in Canada? So like America, doctor, lawyer is one of those like golden, I, at least it used to be. I think now with the knowledge that comes out is you still have to work a ton to reap the benefits of being a doctor. You don't get a ton of freedom by being a lawyer because it's billable hours. It's you and you can try to scale it out, but ultimately it's you. But like that's incentive. You, you become a doctor, you're going to live an upper class life. But again, they're private here. There's no cap on what they can charge for shit and whatnot. So I'm curious, do people yeah. in Canada like want to be doctors or is it just like being a principal <laughs> where it's like, yeah, pretty good life. So I think the doctors, they definitely make a lot of money. Um, there is a cap on what they can bill, but they're all billable hours as well. So I think when they work in the hospital, they get a salary, but, but some of them are, some of them have private corporations and they contract out to the hospital. So they're still billing per patient and things like that. So they, you know, they have to divvy that up when there's multiple doctors on a unit, for example, they have to divvy up the work to make sure they're balanced with their caseload and whatnot. Okay. But there are some places in Canada, like Northern communities that will incentivize people to go work there. They'll give them huge bonuses to go work there. But at the end of the day, the doctors are still, you know, the, all the training involved, all the hours involved. It's so much work to be a doctor. And I, I don't know that it's worth it at this point in time, even though they're making, you know, $350,000 a year on average, probably that I don't, I don't know if that's a factual number, but that's <laughs> when I look at the sunshine list for the people that work at my hospital, those are the numbers that are coming up. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty decent if you're 350. Yeah, because like, so like the principal of a school in Delaware um, would be about 125 as a 12 month employee, 130. If you run an entire district and Delaware has a lot of districts, so it's pretty small, maybe 160 a year. Um, I don't know. I, like me as a teacher with a doctorate degree, I make maybe 85 to 90,000 a year. Um, at a very well-paying district. So it's like, I don't know, man, like I try to scale that. And I feel like if a doctor 
made about, what would that be, 250, 280 US if you're 350 Canadian? Yeah, about that. Yeah, right. So like 280 US, like that's that actually is about on par with our private system, I feel. Huh. Yeah, I would say there there would there couldn't be too much difference or nobody would be a doctor in Canada. Right. Everybody would just go to the US. And I've considered moving to the US a few times. Um, the barrier for me is the the regulatory system there. I'd have to write another exam and get certified and licensed all over again, essentially. Gotcha. There's not just but, some way to like take some sort of test or... There is a there is a test that I would have to do, but I first I have to pay I think it's like eight hundred dollars US in order to have my education reviewed to see if it translates over, which it does. Yeah, which you can I, probably do yourself by just fucking splitting your screen and having two tabs open and being like, right. "Here's my transcript. Yeah. Here's what you call this class. Here's what Canada calls it. Here's what they do." They all have a fucking syllabus for yeah, a reason. Exactly. And you know, the secretary doing that work probably makes $20, $30 an hour. And you're like, where does the extra $750 go? God, yeah, I hate to so the administrator. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm jaded now. No. But, well, and they probably already have the list. There's 10 schools in Canada that provide the education that I have. They probably know that all 10 of those schools yeah. translate over, but right. they still want to charge us $800. And then once that's done, I have to submit all my syllabuses to make sure all the classes translate over. And then I'd have to write the national exam. And then I'd have to get licensed in whatever state I would want to live and work in, okay. um, which is still an option for me at, some, at any point. I could do that. It's, that wouldn't be an issue. Um, but it's, it would be a matter of figuring out which state I'd want to work in and a lot of my friends went to Texas actually when we first graduated and they got huge sign on bonuses for going to Texas. So that was pretty appealing at one point. Really? Yeah. So you'd be cool with Gulf coast or are you looking, you had mentioned hammock. So I like immediately went like California, Florida, Hawaii for you. Those, those would probably be my three choices. Yeah. Probably Hawaii because of the scuba diving. Okay. Um, I'm a little bit of, I've got a bit of an aversion to California and Florida for different reasons. I think the climate is great in both, but if I had to pick a place, it'd probably be Hawaii. Yeah. Um, the aversion, let me guess, the aversion for Florida is the alligators and California are the homeless people. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll stick with that. Oh. <laughs> okay. Has nothing to do with the political climate in either one. Well, they're both like completely opposite, right? Like Florida is like COVID doesn't exist and California wants to be like China with a COVID zero tolerance policy. Yeah. So like are both just too extreme for you? You just want like a little more centric life? So truthfully, yeah, I'm a centrist like at heart. But truthfully, like with Florida, I used to have this negative perception of Florida because we would always make fun of like Florida man does Oh, whatever outrageous thing right dude, it's and so make, true like and you know like everybody loved donald trump in florida and all these things and in canada like if you like donald trump you are a bad 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 person <laughs> <laughs> i won't express my thoughts on that but that was the the label and then california seemed really great and now it's really shifted where california is super hardcore against 
you know, all these things, I'm not going to get into the list, but, you know, COVID being one of the things and they're just very controlling and all that stuff. Like you said, China and Florida seems so free and wonderful. So I probably would, if I had to pick between the two, I'd pick Florida for sure. Yeah. Something, I don't know if it's growing up somewhere on the ocean side of Delaware and like, I don't know if it's being near the ocean and I, I go to the beach pretty frequently in the summer, maybe two, three times a week where again, I'm a teacher, so I'm off. So I get to spend six hours, bring a cooler, you're hanging out. It's great when you have a kid. Um, but then like even just going for the jogs and taking my dog there and just going for the walks and like, it sounds so corny and like long walks on the beach, but you take your fucking shoes off, man. And you feel these waves and I'm not like the woo woo type person, but you feel better. The openness, the the sound, the the vastness of I'm just looking and it keeps fucking going. It's like, wow. You know, it's awe. It's there's an awe to it. And I couldn't imagine living somewhere. Mountains actually might do it for me, because you climb up on some peaks and you get some vistas where you're like, wow. You know, but I, I like a city where you never got to gain perspective on space would really fuck with me. But anyway, I, I was thinking all that to be like, I don't know if the Gulf Coast, like if I went to Texas, I don't know if the Gulf would feel the same way. I know it's large, right? Like I know you can look at it and you, you don't see anything else. But like, I don't think the waves would be the same. I feel like it would feel like a bay, like a pond. I feel like it would be murky or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've never been there. So I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right about the ocean. Like I am... I am a bit more woo-woo probably than you, um, but I do and, see... And judgy, clearly. No. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> um, But, you know, I, I started scuba diving in 2016, and that was really probably the first time I was ever in the ocean. Is that a lie? No, I, I'm lying. I've been in the ocean before that, but um, being in the ocean and being close to the ocean and experiencing that is super powerfully healing and i don't i i need to live by the ocean at some point in the near future why do you think that is being near the ocean is so powerfully healing that's a great question i think it comes down to the energy of it because you're fucking trespassing right like you're you're you've broken into many other animals homes <laughs> and like but at the same time for some reason humans are like it's cool if i invade your territory and i feel great while i do it <laughs> <laughs> i feel like at least when it comes to scuba diving it doesn't feel like an invasion so much as more of like an immersion because you're not going to take over you're just going to experience and kind of flow in and out and that's the way the ocean is. It just flows in and out. And that's what all energy does. It just flows in and out. So when you have that opportunity to experience that like up close, it takes away a lot of the negative energy that you're holding on to. That's man. So I've never snorkeling freaks me out because I just don't trust breathing through a straw and like something's going to clog it. I'm going to choke to death somehow. Like I can't, the people who dive and then like blow out and the water gets out and then they breathe. Like it's they're they're next level heroes to me. So I've never scuba dive, scuba dove, but it's it's interesting. That's a really I hadn't thought about that. Like that ebb and flow. I floated in the ocean, but I've never been like submerged. 
where you feel like you're actually a part of it. I've always felt like I was trespassing. That's super interesting that you said you're just like immersed, not invading. What a different yeah. perspective. And it really is like, I hate snorkeling too. I feel like I'm going to drown every time I snorkel. Um, and I'm a terrible swimmer. So <laughs> the fact that I like going in the ocean at all is kind of a miracle. But um, when you're in, when you're 80 feet down, and you're in a current and you're just kind of flowing with everything else and you're not touching anything. You're not, unless you bump into it by accident, you're not, you know, purposefully destroying things. And, and scuba divers have a mindset about that where you like take only pictures, leave only bubbles. You're not mm -hmm. disrupting anything. And it's super important. And um, it's just a totally different experience. And you really do feel like you're one with the ocean when you're down there. I love, is that a legit saying or is that your mantra? Have you trademarked that? Take only <laughs> no. pictures, leave only bubbles? That's definitely not something I came up with. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard it before, but again, I've never been the scuba diver guy. So how did that start? The scuba diving? So that started actually... Um, in my marriage as well, my ex-husband was a certified diver. He was a rescue diver. So he had done a number of um, certifications to get to that point. And we went to Mexico for an anniversary trip. And well, it was Cozumel. So while we were there, uh, he said, why don't we try scuba diving? Just see if you like it. So I did a discover scuba in the ocean in Cozumel, which is not where you're supposed to do a discover scuba, but that's what we did. <laughs> Can you stay there for a moment? Cause you lost me on three different levels. Um, so Cozumel, is that in the Gulf? Is that like on the inside of Yucatan Peninsula on the Atlantic ocean side? You're asking me a geography question. I don't know the answer to gotcha. it's, an, it's an island off of the mainland Mexico. <laughs> okay. No, that dude nailed that more than I knew. And <laughs> discovery scuba and why, I don't know what that is. And then why are you not supposed to, or why should you not do that? So discover scuba is basically learning how to breathe underwater using scuba gear. So they typically will take you into a swimming pool, put, put all the gear on you, okay, teach yeah. you how to teach you how to go like descend and ascend in the water, how to breathe, how to take off your mask and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you're really supposed to do it in a controlled environment when you're first learning. Makes sense. And when I did it, they're like, no, we're going to go right into the ocean. <laughs> Sounds like Mexico. Just yeah. like, no regulations. Let's roll. Yeah, it, it was a true Mexico experience. Um, it was, it was awesome. And when I came out of it, I felt super pumped to do more. So for my 30th birthday, my husband bought me when we got back to Canada, he bought me the certification package for the open water course, which is there's different organizations that do certifications for diving, but this was Patty, which is one of the most popular ones. And um, so he got me the certification course and I went through a serious bout of anxiety with that. Just thinking about, the cost of scuba diving and, you know, what if we have kids and then I'll never get to scuba dive again. And it's all a waste of money. And what if we never have the money to travel and all this kind of stuff, but the cost to get certified or is there like reoccurring costs for like maintaining equipment and just 
having gear you can depend on? Because again, yeah. I'm a novice. What's the... Yes. So the cost of certification itself isn't terrible. I think it's around $700 Canadian. Um, they want you to have basic gear, like your mask and fins and wetsuit and whatnot. Um, but the cost associated with purchasing your own gear is pretty expensive. Maintaining it's expensive. And then to scuba dive in Canada, because it's so cold here and we're doing freshwater dives, there's like dry suits, which are thousands of dollars. And if you want to travel to go somewhere tropical, it's thousands of dollars. And it's just, it just adds up. Makes sense. It's like a golfing addiction almost. Yeah. It's very expensive. So had a lot of anxiety about that, but decided to go through with it anyways. And he and I ended up going on one trip where we went scuba diving after that. And that was to Disney. And we went scuba diving in the aquarium at the Epcot Center. I didn't know that's a thing. So I've never been to the Disney Epcot Center aquarium. It's, it's pretty interesting. It's it's fairly small. And uh, so there's sharks and sea turtles and fish and all kinds of stuff in the aquarium there. And so you can sign up, you have to be a a licensed diver or yeah, I guess it's a licensed or certified diver to go in there. Um, But they take you in and I think the dive is 30 or 45 minutes and you're in there with the sharks and there's a restaurant inside the, um, the building for the aquarium. So you're diving in front of the windows when people are eating dinner and stuff and did you mess with anybody like did you do the whole knock on the window and like act like a mime or any shit like that oh yeah we were all doing that kind of stuff (laughs) I was that was only my first dive after I got certified so I was more looking out for sharks and (laughs) freaking out when stingrays were like flipping their tails past me and stuff yeah I, I was wondering man did it take did you feel like you went to a different level of like your evolution (laughs) did you feel more primal or did it feel just like ordinary scare like roller coaster scare or startled scare I think it was more it was probably more like roller coaster scare initially but then after my ex and I split up um I started really getting into diving at that point because I was like I didn't do all this for nothing. So <laughs> I got, <laughs> I did some more certifications, did some diving in the, in the freshwater lakes here. And then I went on a trip to the Cayman islands in 2018. And that's when I experienced kind of a shift in my evolution. And it, so it wasn't really like, it was a little bit of fear, but it was also just like pure awe. So I did a night dive when I was there. So you're going out in the pitch black, you've got flashlights, everything is asleep in the ocean except for the predatory animals. And it, it just looks like a completely different world. And the way I described it is like, it's otherworldly. Your light is casting shadows on all the coral and the reefs and certain fish are like swimming around and you've got octopus and like all kinds of stuff, like hunting at night. And it's just super incredible. I can't even really put words to it. It's just an experience that I think everybody needs to have at some point. Why should they have it? Because it, I don't know. For me, it was the most incredible thing I've ever done so far. Hmm. Um, 
And I don't think you really appreciate the ocean and the, and the world out there until you're down there looking at it and experiencing it. I mean, you can see it on videos and stuff. Like there's all kinds of movies about the ocean and, and whatnot, but to actually go and experience that and to be immersed in that. And I don't know, it's just, it's hard to put words to, Yeah, but it was awesome. Those kind of experiences are cool. That would be like a super interesting sociology test where like, you know how like the worst thing that happens to you is different than the worst thing that happens to me, but the worst is the worst. So if like your worst is you've lost $10 and my loss, my worst is I've lost a million dollars, I guess, because we're talking about money. We would both have the same exact emotional reaction because it's our worst. It'd be interesting with you just started getting people with like, how many like life altering perspectives, like appreciative of just earth. What's your most appreciative of earth experience and said, go like, where would people fall on that line of like, Oh, I went for a hike in a state park, you know, or, Oh, I sunbathed on a beach. I cut my grass. (laughs) Right. And like to swim deep at night, um, I think the nighttime thing would freak me out, man, because you're right. The predators there, I'd be so, you have a light. Like, wouldn't you just be drawing nothing but attention to yourself? So you, you would come out appreciating like, oh my God, I, not only did I experience this, I like survived this moment. It would be very empowering. And I, I feel like if you survived it, You'd be like, yeah, dude, like what an awesome place that I was able to survive. We should keep this <laughs> and it should keep being nice. Yeah. And you know, when you say it like that, I, <laughs> it just made me think about, I've gone diving at night in an ocean where there's sharks and I wasn't as scared doing that than I was lending my money to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> money that ultimately, like, like you've said, like, it's just fucking money. What do we care? Exactly. Such a, oh man, now I got to reevaluate my life. Um, That's why you do (laughs) shit, right? Again, it's like a risk tolerance thing, man. Everybody has different triggers. Everybody has different everything. People are snowflakes in like the unique way, not like the whole soft right wing way. Right. But like people, there's a uniqueness to everything about them. Yeah. So then you definitely, have you gotten to Hawaii? No, it's on my bucket list. It was, uh, supposed to be a place that I went probably about six or seven years ago, but the trip at the time got canceled. Um, but it's on my list now. I've acquired enough points on my credit card that I can fly two or three people there. So oh no shit. it's, it's going to happen, yeah. but uh, I have to plan it out. It's, it's one of those things that I'm going to need probably a month because I want to hit all the islands. A month? And I would love to spend a month in Hawaii. <laughs> Dude, I just actually the podcast, what did it post? What's today? Thursday. So yesterday, um, I forgot when I recorded with her, but Melissa, she's going to Hawaii and she's like a wellness coach. She's actually a school psychologist and like has flipped into like this wellness nutrition business thing. And at the end of the pod, she's like, yeah, I got into backpack backpacking. I went to like somewhere in Washington and it was cool for a couple of days. And, um, all super fucking casual about it. It was like, yeah, this summer, um, if anybody wants to meet me in Maui, I'm just going to kind of be there for a couple months. And I was like, the fuck? Like, 
She's like, yeah. And then she gets into like connections she's made with people. And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm like, talk about fucking financial freedom. And like, you have this virtual business. She was like, that was part of her thing with COVID was like, I figured out how to like virtually establish a business that I can take with me and do cool shit. And I'm like, man, what a great take from a terrible time. You know, so dude, if she can figure it out, man, I'm almost positive that you can figure out more than a month. Like you can definitely get a residency there. I can see it in your eyes. Like, Oh, for sure. I could, <laughs> but I don't know if that's where I'd want to be long-term. And I think, so I'm definitely going to go listen to that podcast. Cause I, one of the things that I want to do is create a virtual business so that I can just take it anywhere I go. Right. Um, but yeah, a month, if it turned into more than a month, great. But I think, I think I need to go other places as well. I have my heart set on uh, Indonesia and New Zealand and Australia, and you know, some of those places are really hard to get into right now. But yeah, eventually it'll ease up. Um, is it solely based on scubaing the New Zealand, Indonesia, Australia? I would say Indonesia and Australia are. I also have some friends in Australia. Uh, New Zealand for me, I think, is more the land landscape there. Like it's just, Game of it's pretty incredible. Shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and waterfalls and, you know, grassy mountains and all kinds of cool stuff. So. Gotcha. How do you have friends in Australia? How does that happen? <laughs> Like, I feel, I feel like I, I had like a couple of people on the podcast who were from Australia, but like, where's my farthest friend? Like, I think it's Georgia. <laughs> like, fucking Australia. So my farthest friend is actually in New Zealand right now, but I have, so I have him in New Zealand and I've got a couple friends in Australia and, um, the guy from New Zealand, I actually met on the side of Whistler mountain when I was 15 um wait so i'm just gonna pause you so 15 years old you make friends who now live in australia and you flew first class please continue <laughs> when you put it that way um, God, you peaked way too early <laughs> I, yeah i did i really did <laughs> you know now that i reflect on my life damn my 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 best if i was a bottle of wine my best year <laughs> would have been when i was 15 <laughs> Oh, by the way, I also got an 18 in mini golf, 18 straight holes in one. <laughs> Just some silly shit like that. I did get served my first beer in a bar when I was 15 too, on the same trip. So that trip was one for the books. Um, Go you. Yeah. <laughs> we met on the side of this mountain. It was at, I don't know if you guys have beaver tails in the States, but it's like, it's a dessert. It basically is like a flat donut that's deep fried and covered in sugar. Um, Probably called something him, else, but. Yeah. It might be an elephant ear or something, but they, yeah, we met outside there and um, we had stayed in touch for a little while after. Uh, he was from Australia originally. And then we lost touch for a number of years and just randomly, um, in the last six months or so, he showed up as somebody I might may know on Instagram. Oh yeah, they always know, man. They've they been listening. Know. They've been stalking you for decades without you. Yeah, knowing. the metaverse has always existed. Yeah, and so there he popped up, and so we reconnected. But 
um, the friends from Australia. So one of the girls I went to high school with and she moved there. But in 2017, I was working at a bar in a very small town near where I live. And uh, this guy used to come in every Wednesday when I was working. It was wing night. And he was from Australia. And he had come to Canada because his wife was from here. They had met a number of years before and had lived in Australia. They separated. She came to Canada with the kids. And he basically came to follow her. Uh, so that he could be near his family. So we right. met then, um, and then they reconnect. They rekindled their relationship and went back to Australia. I think in 2018 or 2019. So he and I stayed in touch um, through that time. And why? Why do you have three separate? Because none of those three connections, none of the three Australian connections, are connected, right? They're no. like independent strands. Yeah. The fuck, man. Like, how <laughs> weirdly random is that? It's very random. And maybe they are connected in some way, and I just haven't figured it out yet. But yeah. um, So in, in Delaware, resort town, we would get a lot of, I think it's called J1 visas, where, um, what is it? Western European, no, Eastern European. So, like, Lithuania, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia. Basically, there would be like this influx of really hot girls and really smart dudes that were like 18 to 24 that would come here and work all summer. And like you just grew up around them. Russians would come here and there, but you'd grow up around them. So I feel actually now that I'm thinking about it, I probably got a bunch of people if I went out and like tried to search social media. Now that we're 40, I could reconnect with in those countries. So I'm wondering, is like Australians going to Canada is it something similar? Like, is that a typical thing for Australians to want to go to Canada or like in the regions of Canada that you were around? I think for BC, um, because it's like snowboarding mountain town, oh. or I shouldn't say BC, like Whistler. Whistler is a huge draw for Australians and, and New, New Zealanders as well. Um, they, they come and work and, and then go back. Oh, so it was the same type of gig. Yeah. Got you. So then yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But the, so the one guy that I met at the bar, he had actually lived such a random thing because this is how we became such great friends. He asked me where I was from and I told him the town that I grew up in and he's like, oh, I know where that is. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, it's literally like barely on, on the map. There's 1600 people that live there. And this guy from Australia knows where it is like yeah. kind of weird and random, but he had lived in the town that I went to high school in, in 2003, which is how he met his wife. So she, her and I went to the same high school. That's, I didn't know her though. That's trippy. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So we connected that way and knew a bunch of the same people and just, yeah, just, it felt like something that was meant to happen for sure. Yeah. That's, do you get into the predetermined aspect of life? Do you get into like the cyclical aspect of shit's just getting repeated? And then like, there was this one person I spoke to shout out to 
Kyleen, for some reason she's always stuck with me, um, where she tried to explain the universe and personalities as like shattered glass. So like there's this part of you and it's broken off and all this shit's happening at the same time. You never know which part of the shattered glass, but somehow it's all connected to be part of a mirror. And I tried my best to wrap my head around that and I couldn't. But like, so do you, I don't know, man, like, do you have theories why this is happening? Is your destiny to be eaten by a shark scuba diving in Australia and like... No, that's not how I go. Um, I think... I do think that there's universal powers at play. I don't fully understand what they are yet um, because I'm just... I would say, again, in the last year, just really... I hate the term, like, waking up, but just waking up to... emerging yourself from your cocoon basically that's what it feels like um but then I look back through like periods of my life and I was like oh at that point I was really feeling that and I think I had a preceptor when I was doing my master's degree I had a clinical placement in a hospital and she was she was a a very woo-woo kind of person um and she taught me a lot about her beliefs and like the universe and connection and all that kind of stuff. And very recently, like I've started encountering different things that have made me believe even more that yes, there is some predetermination in our lives that we're not aware of. And only looking back, can we see those connections? Um, But that we do repeat patterns in our lives based on our personalities and the program then programming that we have when we're born and growing up and we can work to break those patterns to get out of those cycles if they're not beneficial to us. Um, and then we determine if they're beneficial to us. Like if you're programmed yeah. that way, that's where I get lost and I'm not I'm trying to like attack any of your beliefs, but it's more like a thought exercise where I go like, so if you get pre-programmed with something, that thing that programmed you is like your creator, whatever it could be. But then why would you not want to roll with your program and have the awareness that your program is bad for you? Shouldn't you just follow your pattern? So I'm going to use the example of money just because we've been talking about it so much tonight. Um, When I look at the programming I have around money some of that isn't necessarily programming from like a higher power or whatever and some of it could be but through my family and the generations before me money was always like something you held on to tightly and you had to work the nine to five to get it and you had to buy a house and pay it off and put money into the savings and and that was how you you know got through life. And so that's a certain program that I've gotten ingrained in me that I now have to undo and relearn something different. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, so I would associate that programming with conditioning. So I, I always take, when you say programming, I'm almost talking about like an intrinsic calling to prefer vanilla ice cream over chocolate. And it's like, you don't know why you're the person that enjoys 
blank, right? Like some people are red wine people, some people are white wine people. They're like, well, why do you like red? You're like, I don't fucking know. Why do I like my coffee black? I don't know. For some reason, the bitterness tastes good to me. I don't chalk that up to like generations of coffee drinking O'Grady's being like <laughs> too much fucking sugar, you know, and like thrown in some barista's face. Like I just feel like for some reason, my DNA, however I was created, craves that, wants that. Like, right. So that's what I think of when I think of programming and for you to talk about like your environment, to me, I think of that more as like a conditioning of what you've grown up. And that's the whole nature versus nurture thing, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's definitely one way to look at it. I think there's, there are other more scientific, intelligent, accurate. <laughs> maybe <laughs> definitely <But> there's, uh, <laughs> definitely. there's other so there's other theories out there on programming and it gets into like some really kind of like and i'm not i'm going to preface this by saying that i don't know enough about it to even say one way or another if i believe in it but powers and creators that program us in a certain way as well and I don't know where I stand on that yet, but it's something that I'm exploring as well, just to see, like, is that something that could be possible? And there's, you know, there's not scientific proof for everything out there. There's a lot of unexplained things in our universe. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's, I don't know. It's a beauty of it. Like, if you believe in balance, you can't accept science as a hundred because there would have to be a counterweight, Right. Like no one thing can be everything if you believe in balance because there has to be like a center, there has to be a left and a right. I don't know. It seems like the binary aspect of life and us trying to like find that middle is almost part of our journey as humans for some weird ass reason. Um, I don't know if it's because of night and day. <laughs> that we're like, I don't know, they're just so polar. Like we have a north and a south pole. Like we have a top and a bottom. We're like, oh dude, everything we fucking have is based on like opposites. And then like dealing with the middles. Um, I'm curious and I don't remember exactly the words because I just went 38 different places in my mind trying to think of this like programming aspect and like other parts of my life. But you had said there was a couple of things that happened that made you think about like fate or like a predetermined predetermination of like you were meant to be something or you this moment was like meant to happen. And I was curious, do you mind sharing? Any of those? Yeah. So, and the, again, this just came up sort of recently for me um, with this guy that I know from Australia. So I went, I was on Instagram and a lot of it comes back to Instagram too. Fucking uh, algorithm. But <laughs> the algorithm. So we need to quit <laughs> saying fate and start me. saying algorithm. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's interesting though. So the guy that I met from Australia, he and I, I have obviously stayed in touch and I was on Instagram back in February and something popped up in my stories and I hadn't seen it before, hadn't recognized it before. And it was about a conscious breathing class that was taking place in a small town hmm. near where I worked at the bar. And so I was like, Oh, this is something that interests me. Um, I'm into like meditation and stuff. Like I said, so I was like, I'm going to sign up for this conscious breathing class and see where it gets me. So I went there and 
met all kinds of super awesome people. Um, and they said, like, how did you find out about us? And I was like, I literally have no idea. Like you popped up on Instagram. And the one guy said, oh, I creeped your Instagram when you signed up. How do you know Mick? And he was the guy from Australia. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so through, I I went back through mine and Mick's messages and he'd actually sent me the link to these people's page and I followed them months ago, but never uh, saw anything come up from them. Right. And so uh, it was through this conscious breathing class that I actually met my current partner and everything there seems to be going swimmingly well. So, um, so the algorithm knew who you needed to spend a little bit of time in your life with. Apparently. Thank you, Zuckerberg. Do you ever send him a message? <laughs> Do you DM Mark? And you're like, Dude, no. <laughs> appreciate, I really appreciate you knowing me better than me and hooking me up. No, it was Mick who knew me better than me. <laughs> and the algorithm just remembered that he sent me that page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It all comes back to our supreme leader, Zuckerberg. That's it. It's That's true. all I'm saying. Mark, all I want you to Zuckerberg. know if you're listening, I'm team you for when you take over. I don't believe in Bezos. I'm team Zuckerberg. Just kidding. <laughs> it's just so random. In my head, I picture like this weird dystopian fractions of the world. And like, especially with these oligarchs that are getting all their shit seized. I'm like, can you imagine? Like, would the US government go help Mark Zuckerberg if Russia was like, sorry, man, you fucking invaded Mexico you're way too rich and you're going to benefit from this Bezos. We're taking your shit. Like would we intercede? It, it's just such a weird thing. So because of that, I picture all these rich people building this infrastructure and then like battling for like continents that they then rule for some reason. I mean, that's probably not that far off of what <laughs> <What's> <laughs> could actually or happening? will happen. <laughs> it's but so fucking random um i do love random thoughts uh man that's yeah i i don't know i don't know where i fall on the fate thing why do you just because it puts you in a good place you see it as fate is that part of it like it wound up making you happy so you're like oh it was meant to be because i'm happy no because there's a lot of stuff that has happened in my life that was absolutely dreadful that I had to go through to get to where I am now. And even those things, I'm like, oh, that was meant to happen that way. Hmm. Um, because I think we're here to learn. And and I do believe that the universe will keep throwing the same things at us in different ways until we've learned the lesson that we need to learn. Um, and that's where those cyclical patterns come in. Like people who are stuck in abusive relationship after abusive relationship, like that's a pattern that maybe it had been ingrained before they, you know, were born, or maybe it was something that was learned through childhood or whatever, but those are patterns that need to be broken. And so I've been through enough crazy things to know that those things were meant to happen the way they did to make me the person I am now. And, and just feeling like I'm so much, like I said, more awake to, the possibilities that are out there because of the connections I've made with the universe. <laughs> <laughs> you giggle afterwards. Do you fear judgment for saying seriously. that? Like, oh yeah. 
Oh, okay. I have, I have a very harsh inner critic. Got you. I feel like most people do, man. Um, it's, I don't know. It, it's something just talking. It, it, it's nice. It's something I was thinking about. Actually, we got into this with Melissa. So Melissa was a lady I worked with. She was a school psych. I was a teacher. And like, we were in the same building for like two, maybe three years. Didn't see her for fucking six, seven years. I get a new job. Our school psych in a new district. So I'm whatever, 20 miles away from where I worked in a completely new district. She gets hired as a temp and I'm like, who, what the fuck, man? But like, don't really know the person. You just see them kind of like in the hall every day and you're like waving and maybe you hear a thing or two. Never like had a drink, never ate a meal, never actually interacted. So then whatever, like a year later, I'm like, now we're friends on Facebook and I'm like, dude, you should come on the pod because we've never hung, right? So it was part of me being like, this podcast is a neat way to get like, intimate with people and the more intimate and like just focused, right? Like that this hopefully is the only thing you care about now. It's the only thing I care about now. I'm not trying to like fucking multitask all that shit. A lot of people reveal that they are like, they feel they're their harshest inner critic, which is super interesting because most people worry about like judgment from others. Like that's what like the outward conversation is the, they, they're going to be upset. I don't want them to talk shit, something like that. But then if you really talk to somebody one-on-one, it's really more about them disappointing themselves. It's not like the mom, oh my God, my father's going to kill me if I say this. Oh my God, my husband, my wife, my whatever. It's like, no, dude, it's me. I fuck with me too much. But again, that comes back to the programming that we have as individuals. Like, I have a lot of fear of judgment and I judge myself pretty harshly. But when I when I sit back and look at it from like the 40,000 foot view of my own life, it's all those influences I had growing up and that I know existed through the generations of my family that make me judge myself in the ways that I do. Because it's like their voices are somehow are like part of your subconscious. Absolutely. Gotcha. Huh. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it. So it's just judgment in general. It doesn't have to be like inner or outer. It's you're immersed in judgment. You're scuba. Yeah. Oh my God, you're fucking scuba diving in judgment. <laughs> Basically. God, thank God you have oxygen. <laughs> what? Um, I'm curious if you don't mind, like, do you have a particular lesson? It Maybe it is judgment that you felt the universe kept like, throwing snowballs at your face about and you were like all right man i fucking get it i'm gonna stop with this i can break this did you do you have a particular that's a good question um because i wonder and while you're thinking not to distract you but like it makes me think about like mine because I'm almost as close to perfect. No, I'm just kidding. But like you look at like, where do I fuck up? Right? Like, cause in my head, I'm like, okay, where do I typically fuck up? Is that the universe being like, uh, dude, get the hint, you know, like, oh my God, if people constantly like my, one of my bigger things is when I work with people, they're like, dude, you're kind of a dick. And I'm like, am I, or am I just about efficiency in business? And for some reason I take my job, like, seriously, I want to do well. And like, you're more relaxed about it. You know, and like, it's this weird thing. And I'm like, is if I continually get it, clearly it's not just them. If it's a bunch of different thems being like, 
hey man, the way you interact with people, you could probably get better at that. And I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I sincerely want to get better at that. So I'm like, is that my, one of my universal things that like, I need to learn that lesson, you know? So like, that's where my mind went is like, where do I keep fucking up? And like, oh, maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe that's why I started this stupid podcast to be like, work on my human interactions. <laughs> maybe right? for me, I think, I think for me, it's, um, there's a bunch and like, part of me wonders if this whole money thing is, is a lesson that I haven't figured out yet, uh, just based on the amount of fear I had around it. But uh, the one that's, the one thing that sticks out a lot for me is, um, my patterns and relationships and how I, prior to the last couple of years, I really, or maybe even going back like three years, I really lacked boundaries with people and I would get into some really, I mean, they're not all terrible and the people that I dated aren't terrible people, but the relationships themselves were pretty toxic shit storms, essentially. Um, and I, I took a step back and looked at what is the common denominator in all of these things. And it was me. <laughs> Uh, that's the first step admitting you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and so I started looking at like, why is that? And I just, for the longest time I had no boundaries. I was such a people pleaser. Um, codependent is a word that I would use to describe my former self. Um, and that came from like a history of growing up in the family that I grew up in. Um, and just the relationships that existed there. And so I think the lesson for me was like these continuously terrible relationships uh, where I lacked all the skills and tools to be an effective partner and to communicate my own needs and boundaries. And now I can do that. And the relationships, relationships that I'm attracting to my life now are so much healthier and so much better. So there, dude, that, um, so again, with my social stalking of you going through, um, some of like the former stories, I guess that you like collected in the Instagram folders. And one of them had a quote that I thought was pretty interesting about relationships, which was like, you're not competing with other people. You're competing with my maybe like solitude. So like, if I get in a relationship with you, you have to be better than me being by myself. And that, I mean, like a lot of people don't fucking want to be by themselves. I think it's why podcasts are so popular because it's like you throw it on the background. You don't feel so alone. Right. Yeah. And I'm wondering what got you to, was it the reading of books? Like, was that the immersion of like just having that filler in the vacuum of a person or what was it that got you more comfortable with maybe you? I shouldn't say maybe because it would have to be. You'd have to be comfortable with you to not be codependent, right? Because now I'm not depending on yeah. someone else. So yeah, it is. It's just being more comfortable with you. Yeah. I think it started before, that part started before last year. Um, I've been doing a lot of work on myself in terms of like how much I love myself, how much I appreciate myself, my boundaries, like, you know, 
do I let other people cross lines? And that started for me probably back in 2018. I, I don't know if you've, um, watched the Netflix show, Dirty John. Um, don't think so. Yeah. The Tinder swindler also comes to mind when I think about it, but I had dated this guy back in 2018 after my marriage ended and to make a very long story, incredibly short, he was a total sociopath. Um, I don't know if you know about my podcast, but I'm definitely not into making long being short. Feel free to <laughs> have the detail. We'll be here for another three hours. Oh, wow. um, essentially, this person fabricated every single detail of their life. And because I had no boundaries, I, you know, fell in love super quick. I uh, was super excited about him and all the things that he promised, but like, I wasn't paying attention to the ways that he was hurting me or not showing up or being inconsistent or, you know, the list is on. And it turns out he had lied about like things as serious as like his dad having a stroke. He, he was texting me from the hospital, um, about conversations, have conversations that he was having with the nurses about medications that were being administered to his dad, other stroke and like just because none of that. you're like a healthcare professional and he's yeah, trying and I to like Holy at the time, God. at the time I worked on a stroke unit. So I, he knew that I knew all that information, but none of that was true. Um, he had fabricated an ex-girlfriend that needed him for different things and that she had kids and like they were really kind of enmeshed with each other still and she wasn't real um <laughs> he fabricated an uncle that fell off a ladder and ended up dying before christmas and that wasn't real and i like i became the best private investigator in ontario <laughs> over that <laughs> over the course of like 48 hours i figured it all out and i i uncovered the truth what which was, was that he was no, I'm sorry, dude. I so fucking suck at interjecting, but I'm no, like, it's okay. I'm so curious. Like what was the, I need to Google this shit moment. It was before it was like the week or two before Christmas. Um, he was supposed to come to my mom's house for, we were doing Christmas like early because my brother's work schedule. And so he was supposed to come on the Friday night and this was around the time that his uncle had died. So he had to take his parents to uh, Belleville to Belleville is a town in Ontario, totally irrelevant, but he had to take them to this town, which was a few hours away for this funeral. Not irrelevant. If we're putting a solid case together, every detail True. matters. Every detail matters. <laughs> and so, and he kept saying like my mom, and this is the part that gets me. Like it just, freaking oh it makes me so angry he would say to me I have to take my mom to say goodbye to her brother uh like when his uncle was first fell off the ladder and was still alive he had to drive his mom to say to say goodbye to the brother because they knew he was going to die or whatever um so he didn't come for Christmas on the Friday and then it was okay I'm going to come tomorrow and then it was my mom really wants me here for the funeral like, and I'm trying to be 
a compassionate person, empathetic. I can't get mad at him for not showing up for Christmas. But at the same time, I was devastated that like he had promised all these things and just, it was repeated like disappointment. So at, at this point I was like sinking into a hole of depression. And I remember during Christmas dinner on the Saturday, he texted me saying he wasn't going to make it the next day or something or that night. And, uh, Oh my God. Why is the universe doing this to us? You literally froze at the climactic moment of your story. You've got to be kidding me, universe. Elizabeth, the universe hates us. Is the Tindler swindler stopping us? Like literally froze at the climax. The last words you said were like, I'm crying. And it was, I was like, what the fuck? Universe, universe, why do you want not this story out there? I don't understand, man. Um, and I think, I think you froze before that. And I just kept talking. I was like, eventually it'll come back. And then right? it was just like, because oh. it's been doing that shit. So like, I'm wondering, I don't know, man, I'm recording on a Mac. So I don't know if it was like the Apple draining iOS thing. Cause I saw a couple red lines on the settings and there's still a red line setting thing there, dude. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, Cause well, fucking sucks. That was a moment. And like, you were being so kind to share the moment and like. It's like, nope, don't care about your moment. Technology overrides <laughs> your emotions, stupid human. You know, like, fuck, man. God, I wish I could do these in person. Oh, that's all right. Um, so quick recap. Uncle not dying, but dying. Dude no. ditching you, texting. And we were asking about the moment it took you to get to the point of like, is this guy actually full of shit? Balancing the whole can I call somebody on this shit? Cause if it's real, I'm the world's worst person for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like a number of repeated offenses I'll say from him in terms of the disappointments that he had put me through leading up to that. But again, my own fault for not standing my ground. But the moment that I started to really like question it was at Christmas. And so Christmas dinner he was he had told me earlier that day that he was going to make it for dinner and and then didn't uh because he said his dad <laughs> fell at the cemetery or something like that uh so I was sitting at Christmas dinner like texting him that I was disappointed that he wasn't there and I went upstairs to to the room that I was sleeping in and I started crying like in the middle of dinner at the age of 32 I'm like on the floor crying and I was like this something is not right here. Like if I was talking to a friend and they were telling me that this was their scenario, I would say that this is an abusive relationship. And I, I may even add, is this age appropriate behavior? Right? <laughs> like, like, should I be at this point? In my God. Life? <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, I am such an idiot, but, um, <laughs> that's how you learn, man. That's how you learn. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was crying and I, he kept saying like, I promise I'll be there tomorrow. I promise I'll be there tomorrow. And we have plans to go to this like Christmas light show at this botanical garden. And he's like, we'll go tomorrow. Like, I'm so sorry. I can't be there with you. This is too important to my mom, blah, 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 whatever. 
And then I went to bed and I normally, when I go to bed, I don't keep my phone on. I Good call. always, I always put it on silent mode because I can't stand people texting me, waking me up. But that night I didn't for some reason. And I remember my phone went off at like three o'clock in the morning and it was him. And the text was, uh, we're, we're taking my dad to the hospital because his blood pressure is off. I don't know, like, we don't know what's going on, but I just wanted to let you know. I wanted to keep you informed. After the uncle's death. This is after the, after the uncle's death. And this was after, like, it's, all these other things that had happened. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, it's always something. It's amazing how there can always be this elaborate-ass something. It's yeah. never just like, yo, got a flat tire. Like never yeah. that simple. <laughs> no, it was never that simple. God, that would be too easy. So he sent me that message and I, I w- was in bed and I, my entire body was like, I went into shock. I started sweating. I was shivering. I was nauseous. I got the stress poops, like, <laughs> like no other. And I was like, like, obviously something's not right. And my brain, like three o'clock in the morning is my prime time for thinking. Like if I wake up at three in the morning, I'm done because my brain's just like connecting all kinds of things. And so that night I, I went through like rapid fire and inventory of all the things he ever told me. Dude, that, so like if people don't do that shit every once in a while, it's very easy to be like prisoner of the moment in relationships. But if you start to kind of make a little bit of case and like try to just speak it to yourself, it can yeah. give this other aware. It gives you that 40,000 feet that you were talking about where it's like, whoa, maybe it's not me this time. Yeah. And so I, I started searching. I started Googling things. Like you said, what was that moment that made you Google? I started Googling the things that he told me because he, he had claimed that he was a professional engineer and that his dad was a retired psychiatrist and that his sister-in-law was a nurse. And like, those three professions are all professions that like my own, you can find out if it's legitimate. Yeah. You're on LinkedIn by, or some shit at this point in your life. Well, not only that, but like your regulatory body. So you're professional certified. engineers like have a regulatory body doctors. And when you retire, that doesn't go away. It stays there. And so I started searching and nothing was coming up for the names that he had given me. And so I was up the rest of the night and at six o'clock in the morning, I got up, went downstairs. My mom was already awake. And I just said to her, like, and she had already been judging this dude. Like <laughs> my, my mom, love her, but she's a hardcore judge. And she had said to me like earlier that week, like some snide comment about him. And so I brought it up to her and I said, I need you to not judge me, but like something is not right here. And I don't know what it is. And so my mom was like, you should do this and this and this. And I was like, how do you, how do you even know to do these things? Like what she said, like, well of knowledge. <laughs> I know she's like, you should do a title search on his house. And I was like, what? I don't even, first of all, I don't even know what that is. Never mind how to do it on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but sure enough, I found a way and, uh, <laughs> and I uncovered that this guy like lied about everything. He didn't even, and this is part of the, the part where people are like, well, how did you not know? I had never been to his house. And this was all part of the story about his dad having a stroke 
He claimed he came from a very religious family and his brother and sister-in-law came to live in his house to help care for the dad mm. while the dad was recovering. And because he, the, the guy, fuck it, I'm just going to say his first name, Randall, because he, um, he was like, he had told me that he was previously divorced and that was really hard in the family because they're so religious. And so he didn't want to bring a new girlfriend around when his brother and sister-in-law were staying there because it was just going to cause too much tension within the family. And like, I was trying to be respectful of that. Like whatever, it's still fairly new, but he told me where he lived. He drove me past it. He showed me like, (laughs) like the Christmas decorations are up. He said, Oh, my sister-in-law put the Christmas tree up today. Like that kind of shit. (laughs) None of it was true. So turns out he's married. He has three kids. Uh, now he has four kids. I think they had another one after us, but like, yeah, it was wild. (laughs) Talk about die with the lie. Like what? Yeah. And it turned out he had done it at least once before that his wife was aware of, because I ended up talking to her. Um, And he, so I, I said to him, like, why me? Like, like, what, and what was the end game? And he basically said he chose me because he could tell from my profile, like I was, I met him on Bumble. So he could tell from my profile that there was qualities about me, like, like some perfectionistic stuff. And like, cause I like lists and whatever, uh, and different things that we had kind of connected on early on that he, he knew that he could mirror and use to manipulate me. But then he said, uh, where you're located, because I lived close to a major highway and his real job was as he was like a project manager for construction. And so he was able to tell his wife that he was a project manager on this big highway expansion that was actually happening he wasn't the project manager on that, but she believed him. And so when she would use his, the find my friend on his iPhone, cause she would, she would stock his location because he had an affair previously. Yeah, right. Motherfucker had a history. Yeah. So she would sign into his phone and see, Oh, he's close to the highway. Like he's, he's actually working tonight, Jesus but really Christ, he was at dude. my house. And it's amazing. You're not fucking murdered. Like that's like Ted, it, I, I, I don't know, Ted Bundy type shit? Like, what the fuck? Totally. So for that happened on a Sunday, I went to work on the Monday. I couldn't remember any of my passwords to the computers. Like, nothing. I was like a And you zombie. lost all your and Bitcoin. No, I'm I just lost kidding. everything. All the Bitcoin was gone. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I went home sick and I sat in the corner of my couch staring at the door to my condo for two days because I was convinced that he, he had a key to my condo. So I was convinced he had made a copy of the key. He was going to come kill me. He was going to kill the dog. Like, Oh, so you did go there. I totally went there because I was scared. Like want to hide this from his wife or what made you think he was going to hurt you? Just that he was psycho. Like someone has to be crazy to do that much shit. Yeah. Like the, the level of manipulation he went to made me think like, he's capable of anything. He's capable of murdering somebody. And I think I even said to him, like, after I figured it out, I was like, 
you legit, like, we're going to murder me. And I said that to his wife and she's like, no, he, like, I'm telling you, he would never physically hurt somebody. And I was like, what he did, like, was like, he basically killed that version of me at that time. And, and even our sexual relationship, like, it felt like such a violation after that because I was consenting to something that I thought was something entirely different than what it was. Yeah. And so after that, <laughs> the reason we brought the story up after that, I went on a deep dive on like, why did that happen to me? And how did I allow that to happen? What is deficient in me that made me such an easy target for that guy? And how can I make sure that never happens again? And so that's where the boundaries came in. And being okay with yeah. yourself, right? Like just the boundaries. God, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to, I don't want to like dig into wounds and stuff like that. Like that's the weird balance. I try to strike the whole re respectful thing, but the boundaries are super interesting to me. And it, it selfishly makes me analyze like, do I have boundaries? Am I clear about my boundaries? Am I a people like, right? Like I almost want to like take some sort of like vogue or psychological, like I want to log on to fucking Jordan Peterson's website and take like a bunch of just different like personality tests. Tell me who I am, sir. So I know how I should do and how I should change. But like, what are there particular boundaries that you discovered? You're like, I need this wall up. Like, like something as simple as like, dude, if you fucking say you're going to be somewhere, I need you to be somewhere. And if you're not, I'm comfortable with calling you out on that shit. And like, it's a legit issue. You don't get to dismiss it. Is it that kind of boundary or is it something else? Cause I've never really explored boundaries. <laughs> I don't know. Like it sounds so stupid, but like, I really haven't talked a bunch about like, what the fuck do you mean boundaries basically, you know? Yeah, I think so. The example you just gave is a perfect one and one that I definitely use. Like if you say you're going to do something, you better damn well follow through. Yeah. And if you don't like it, this shit happens, we can't always be like following through 100 percent on everything. But if it's a repeated pattern, like I'm going to pay attention to that. Yeah. And even the way somebody talks to me like like red flags or like if somebody's like over abundant with their compliments or like love bombing me, like to me, that's like, mm, that's actually a boundary now where that used to feel good. That's like, mm, like, I know I'm awesome, but <laughs> there's no way that you know that I'm that awesome yet. <laughs> so like, oh. you know, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, people can get really attracted to each other and, fall for each other fairly quickly but it's like is that consistently happening are there other signs that are coming through and so just like paying attention to those boundaries but also having boundaries around things like you know friendships with certain people like you know if I was dating you you're welcome to be friends with whoever you want but if there's a relationship that you have in your life that makes me uncomfortable, I'm not going to tell you, you can't have that friendship, but I need to evaluate my own boundaries and say like that relationship makes me uncomfortable. And I don't think that this is a good fit for me. So it's recognizing my own shit. 
that's a real interesting place. Um, and I haven't, I don't know, man. It, it, it almost makes me wish you're not, you don't happen to be like a clinical psychologist, do you? Are you? No, but I do work in mental health. <laughs> oh, do you? Oh, no shit. Yeah. Well, I'm a teacher. So with COVID, I fucking work in mental health too now at this point. I don't you even totally fucking do. teach, man. Jesus Christ. It is nothing but like, what? Like it, everything. Do I walked, this is such a sad side note. I won't take a ton on it. Um, basically you have like key fobs and our school's so packed. We have a couple trailers outside. So I go into a class half time to like support as a reading specialist to support students when they're engaged in writing. Um, I'm not there the entire time, so I'm not the primary teacher. Basically there's this one girl, she was at the nurse. I'm in that class. Maybe I've spoken to her like seven times. So she kind of sees me every day, but I've only really interacted with her seven times. It's only about like, hey, when you write an answer, this is how you formulate your thoughts. There's a little structure and a pattern. You can be creative, but like there are some elements you have to have. Hey, sir, are you going to a class or can you take me outside? Um, I can go outside. What, what's up? She's like, going home. I'm a little sick. I'm like, oh, are you feeling okay? Feeling good. Need to get my book bag. Hoping I can come to school tomorrow. Don't want to stay in the motel with my mom. Hoping my mom's boyfriend can fix the house in Pocomoke for us, which is a fucking hundred miles away. And opens up about like leaving North Carolina because everybody's calling her fat and ugly and people here are nice. And like it was 25 seconds where her and I walked one-on-one -on -one and it was like she just needed somebody to like talk to. And it did like... You seem like a safe person. <laughs> you asked, here you go. And yeah. that's fucking kids at the, at least in Delaware, man. Like that's where kids are with that kind of like their lives have been so fucking disruptive. Right. So all of that context to go to like fucking why man, <laughs> like how, how are you a functioning person? At that level of manipulation, being grown, having people in your lives, like I, do you have theories about this? You have to come up with theories about how people are like that and how boundaries keep them the fuck away from you. Yeah, I still haven't quite figured out how he became like that. I mean, you can dive into the different theories on how people become sociopaths and psychopaths and whatnot and that I think that a lot of that's rooted in childhood stuff too or programming from higher powers or whatever like whatever fuck? you think God, why but would... he legit yeah he no, legitimately just, why would, like, want to program somebody that way like like what the fuck's wrong with you universe do we need another hurricane well actually yeah. actually if you think about it it's like well we do have earthquakes we do have hurricanes so like if whatever's in control of weather is also in control of people like, oh, that's why you're a fucking sociopath. You're a hurricane. Yeah. You're There's a tornado. There's got to be that balance, right? Yeah. You got to have the balance. Thanks for being a nor'easter. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he did grow up in like a super religious family. Uh, that part was true. But so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I worked with a psychologist um, for quite a while after that to really like dive deep into my own stuff and to figure out like, how can I make sure that I keep myself safe and don't allow somebody to violate me like that again? And, uh, it's still like 
work and effort to make sure that I have those boundaries. And I even practice them in my relationships with my family and my friends and at work. And, you know, it takes a lot to build the confidence to express your boundaries without necessarily saying like, this is a boundary for me, but even now in my relationship, like we have those discussions, like this is something that is a boundary for me. So this is my expectation around it. And it's not to like manipulate the other person or set them up or control them in some way. It's just saying, this is where my line is. And if your line is there, cool. Like let's figure out that balance. So dude, that's the weird part. How do you keep a boundary without it being an ultimatum? And like, how do you balance the, like, we're really cool whatever, if you just want to throw numbers, like 90% of the time, but there's this 10% that I know fucks with me. And right now we're cool, man. But that 10% is going to grow to like proportionally 80%, even though it's really only 10%, it's just going to keep fucking wearing on me. The fact that you're blank and it could be some stupid shit. Like, uh, I've spoken to dudes and they want to gamble and then like their significant others, want to be like, well, how much did you spend? And that fucking triggers them. And it's like, well then dude, you got to either concede that you're going to have budget that shit out, or you got to find a girl that has no fucking financial interest in your gambling debts. <laughs> like, yeah. but I don't know if that's a middle ground. Like to me, I'm like, that's going to be a fucking deal breaker. If the gambling continues to like bring up all this conflict in your relationship and finding that balance, I would imagine, would lead to a lot of like, I shouldn't say I would imagine, because now I feel like I'm being some pretentious, judgy fuck and like pushing it on you. I didn't mean to do that at all. But like, I would think it would like lead to like these weird self guilt things because people want relationships. Like ultimately you want to be loved. You want to be part of a tribe, right? Like you want someone. Like, I think it's like how a lot of people are wired. You want someone. It's okay to be like that. But then it's like, am I being selfish? Oh my God, I'm so stupid. Like the negative self-talk creeps in and it's hard to like reinforce your boundary, you know? Yeah, and for me, I think that's where it becomes the the issue of, am I happy enough being with myself versus allowing somebody to cross a boundary? And I think a boundary only becomes an ultimatum if you put it out there and you're not going to act on it. So if I said to you, I don't want you talking to, or it makes me uncomfortable when you talk to that person and it's not something I'm comfortable with and you proceed to talk to that person, my choice becomes one, I put up with it or two, I end the relationship and how I react to that is my choice. And I have to be confident and comfortable enough in myself to say, okay, that hurts me enough that I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And I'm happier being by myself. So see you later. Yeah. And, and it's up to you if you want to like respect the boundary or not. And that's where people, I think consistently like cross their own boundaries with people. Like I have friends who are like, oh, I can't talk to so-and-so because my partner's not comfortable with it. And it really sucks because I really want to be friends with that person it's like well maybe that's a boundary you need to have because that relationship is obviously important to you yeah right like if you're if you're feeling that sort of way man clearly that's going to be a fucking thorn (laughs) yeah 
and I use like relationships outside of a relationship as an example. It's not the best example, but well, I would feel uh, like it could it's be most common. I mean, again, I'm not a psychologist, but like I would feel like I don't know, but yeah, like that would be especially, and I don't know if it's like a middle aged thing where you romanticize old flames, you have ideals, you're trying to like grab some youth, like what the fuck ever it is. But like, I feel like the spring up of a relationship, like, oh, so you started following such and such. Oh, I noticed they're texting you a lot. Oh, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm going with my boys for the weekend to go fishing or whatever. And you're like, and those seeds of doubt, man, especially if you have some like fucking baggage you're bringing in and you've been like exposed and experienced things, how could you not with your own bias just start interpreting things a certain way? Yeah. And that's where like, man, fucking communication. If you don't have some decent, like open, honest, I, I need 20 minutes so we can talk through some shit type of communication, like you, you're fucked. You know, your the the relationship yeah. to have like a decent like connective relationship, you're fucked. Because if not, you just start building walls, and then you're compartmentalizing your relationship, and that kind of sucks. You know, like you don't yeah. want just a fucking trophy wife. You don't want just a homemaker, right? Like you want partnership. You would think. <laughs> I feel like yeah. most people do. You want a com a camaraderie. For sure. Yeah, and I think after, like after the relationship with. I call it the Randall scandal after the Randall scandal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Great Reddit page. Is that like, do you, I don't go on Reddit, but I feel like that would be a Reddit thing where like you I, put it out there and then all of a sudden motherfuckers are just dropping you with like Google maps and times and be like, well, really it would have only taken 28 minutes to get here. And when yeah. you said, you know, and like it would be the true crime way that you solve a bunch of shit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I solved that in a true crime fashion. Yeah, the Vandal scandal uh, on Reddit. With, with multiple people's <laughs> assistance. We all banded together as detectives that day. No um, but it would have been really easy for me to put walls up and just not let anybody in again. And I went through some relationships after that that were horrible. Like, you know, when people, people who think that they're emotionally intelligent and think that they can handle somebody else's trauma and really like they can't and part of that's on me because I wasn't handling it the best either um you know it, it makes it really hard to to trust people again and stuff like that but at some point you just have to have faith that not everybody's a sociopath and wants to destroy you and in, in that way so yeah right like it's it, it's funny because I don't know why I get so fucking percenty with math and you're like, Oh my God, whatever. And I'm making up numbers. Two out of five of my relationships were socio were with sociopaths. And it's like, are 40% of the people I interact with sociopaths. <laughs> it's like, so that's not how it plays <laughs> out in real life. Cause if it did, that would almost be the norm. <laughs> and you're like, but to you, that is the norm. If you've had, like two, right? If you're limited yeah. with it, it really does fucking shape your worldview when you put it that way. 
but I read a book after that relationship was done. Oh my God. Um, don't give me a note. Don't tell me it's fucking 60% of people are sociopaths. It was either one in four or one in five. I can't remember the exact number, but it was one of those two. Wait, so do you have a definition? What makes a sociopath? I don't have the exact definition off the top of my head, but they defined it in this book. And it was like sociopath, psychopath, or narcissist, I think was the, cl- the clump that they put together. Because essentially they'll interact with you in relatively the same way but it was either one in four or one in five people Are fall on that spectrum of like anti-social personality fuck. type um I which know. is a huge number and it's funny because like in the like i work in mental health like i said so we get people that have like a, an actual clinical diagnosis of anti-social personality disorder and i i interact with these people and i i know how they are. So I, I'm aware of like what boundaries I need to have with them. And, and I can almost take it really lighthearted now. Like they'll say something and I'm like laughing inside. I I don't obviously laugh externally because I'm not allowed to do that as a healthcare professional, but internally I'm like, Oh yeah. Like that's totally on point with your diagnosis. Diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you put it with all three, Oh yeah, I could definitely, I, I could see that. I do wonder like sociopath is just like disregard for other people's feelings is how I would put it. Narcissist, you're just more about you. Your decisions come from a you centered place. And what was the third one? Psychopaths. Yeah. What's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? I'd have to Google it. Right? To get but, the exact definition. No, but like, so what do you just think? Like, what's your gut? Oh, wait, I don't want to ask your gut because that's your profession. I don't, don't want to like, unless, <laughs> unless you want to. But like, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a fairly educated, now mostly online, but fairly educated individual. And I'm like, what the fuck is the difference between a sociopath? So like society versus psychology. So like sociopaths deal with manipulating their social environment. A psychopath is like Michael Myers, Jason, where like your mind is just fucked and you got to work through that versus trying, like you give a fuck about the social environment where sociopaths want to like manipulate their social environment. I think that's where I would go. I think I have to look it up now, but um, okay. So sociopath is somebody with a personality disorder manifesting itself in extreme antisocial attitudes and behaviors. Anti- so you're fucking rebellious. See, man, that's how the government locks you up, man. See, I knew it. I'm not trying to, the more I put out this podcast, the more I'm just waiting for when I go see my mom that all of a sudden they don't let me leave that nursing home. <laughs> and they're just like, sorry, Sean, evidence is in. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of uh, pathologizing of different things that makes, as a healthcare professional, I'm like, wait a minute, like, are we really going to slap a label on that? Dude. I question it a lot. I, I really do. When you start thinking about like laws, regulations, diagnosis, you're like, can we say that is true and best practice? Yeah. Is it really best for the majority? And what is the majority? Five out of... 5.1 out of 10, that's the majority? Ah, does that mean we should make it a norm? Like, oh my God. I know. Sorry, so um, so then psychopath? 
psychopath is a person suffering from chronic mental disorder with abnormal or violent social behavior. Yeah. So I don't really know what the def- like the difference is between the two. They sound the same to me, but well, one's antisocial. So it's like the psychopath lash lashes out on society where the sociopath is withdrawn from society. And so like if the dude's family is his society, he was being withdrawn from it in this relationship. Maybe yeah. that's the way to look at it. Okay. So. I found a better comparison. Oh. While psychopaths are classified as people with little or no conscience, sociopaths do have a limited, albeit weak, ability to feel empathy and remorse. So they cry so when the- they get caught. <laughs> you're, yeah you're not sorry because you did it you're sorry because you got caught because you got caught yeah. and if that's you you're a fucking sociopath <laughs> yeah and that was the conversation i had with randall he was like tearful i'm like you're so full of shit like you're not he's like i'm so sorry i'm like no the only yeah. thing you're actually sorry about is that i figured you out yeah. and that i'm smarter than you <laughs> this is going to be a fucking speed bump in your life man that like it's an inconvenience to whatever fucking ploy or end game that you had going on that's why you're sorry that's a, a super layman's way. I don't know. Like that to me, like, all right, that's how I'm going to go forward. Like sociopath, sorry when you're caught. Psychopath, you're trying to fucking hurt people. Narcissist, you look at your phone and iPad when it's off to see how good you look. <laughs> when you yeah. turn on narcissist. Your, when you turn on your camera to take a picture, do we have to wait for you to take it off of selfie mode to go to front camera mode? <laughs> And if that's the case, narcissist. <laughs> narcissist, though, like they come from a place of having a really fragile ego. So they don't actually think oh. very highly of themselves, but they rely on tons and tons of external validation. And when they don't get it so or when they're challenged. The people pleaser? They're narcissists aren't, aren't really people pleasers. They're They're people that I like. They have very, very low self-esteem. But isn't that how you get validation by pleasing others? Because you please them and then they tell you that you're awesome because you pleased them or no? Yeah, but it's, I don't think it's true people pleasing. Because like Uh, there's people pleasing in a sense that like I want to do like from a codependent standpoint where it's like I want to help you and like make you happy so that you don't abandon me, people pleasing. And then there's people pleasing like I'm going to charm the shit out of you. So you think that I'm the best thing that ever walked the earth because then you'll adore me. And that makes me feel good because I have low self-esteem. Gotcha. Yeah. I would yeah. not have thought that like the narcissist is hollow. You're the fucking chocolate Easter bunny. Basically. Yeah. Look all sweet, fucking defined and ripped and inside <laughs> you got shit to you, man. Wow. I would not. Okay. Look at my edification. God, why aren't you a psychologist? Or maybe you are. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a psychologist. Um, I don't know. Like I, I explored a lot of different career options when I was going through school. And there's a lot of times that I think I picked the wrong one. And I may not stay in this field forever. But um, yeah, it was an evolution to how I got here for sure. What would you... What do you feel like the universe is telling you to do? Or why are you going to break your programming? What are you going to break your programming to become? Ooh, um, 
That's a good question. I think I say that a lot. That's a good question. I say that a lot. I think uh, most, I think <laughs> most people, no, and, and it's not just you. I actually used to have this thing when I spent a lot, a little more time editing where like, um, I had a, what, what, a cross, a cross dressing candy shell from Hawaii is like a cross dressing entertainer who sings, which was fucking awesome. And we just, it was like a four hour thing. And I got to speak to Dan who is candy shell and then a candy shell. And it was this whole split pod thing, which is, I, I thought like at the moment, I was like, this is pretty fucking neat. But anyway, like she candy shell sang like four different things that I would insert that would be very common in the pod. One of them was like, hit me with your dad jokes. <laughs> and cause I would just say corny shit often. And the other one was something about like, that's a good question. And she was like, that's cause I'm professional. And it reminds yeah. me of like the little Dr. Pepper dude. Do you know the Dr. Pepper commercials where he comes and he sings all this shit? Like that's yeah. what I envisioned, but it was like a year and a half ago. Um, but anyway, all that to say, like, I feel like when people need a moment to think, they just say that's a good question to almost like buy time to process. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm really good at asking questions. I think it's just more like, huh, let me think about that, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I do say it as a placeholder for I need yeah. a moment to think. Yeah, right. And I, I think I got that. I was listening to... Um, Lex Friedman and Elon Musk do a podcast and there was a I swear to god it was like a five minute pause when Lex asked Elon a question and I thought my phone died I was like what happened to the podcast yeah and it was because Elon didn't say anything he was just thinking about his answer and he's a fucking billionaire and he's like I don't need no fucking placeholder right this is like, I can just sit here in silence and make make you wonder but yeah, yeah so to get back to your actual question I was, think that was there a question? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you asked what I would do to break the pattern, <laughs> what I would do next. So I don't know entirely yet what it's going to be, what it's going to be called. Um, but I do know that I'm going to help people heal themselves in some way. I've done a lot of healing myself through emotional trauma, physical trauma, like all kinds of stuff. And working in mental health. Like I think I've really developed the skills to help other people go through the healing process. And I don't, I don't always like the rigid box that my profession puts me in because there's so many rules and regulations and policies and procedures around it that like, I can't even, we had the pandemic. We had patients that were in the hospital for some of them have been there the entire time two years, whatever. And we're not even allowed to give them a hug. Mm. And like, sometimes these people just need some physical contact, but Dude. God forbid we hug somebody because that could be misconstrued as sexual assault or whatever. Right. And I think that, you know, not to say that I'm going to go around giving it free hugs no. or anything, but. So just to add to the point, my mom, um, earlier on in her life, maybe a decade ago or whatever. She was a nurse. She was a nursing assistant, LPN, RN. And then she got to the point where she did like nursing classes. And one of her points of emphasis that she noticed very early on with students who were becoming um, registered nursing assistants was they lacked basic physical comforting contact. Something as simple as if you're giving someone difficult news, hold their hand. 
if they if they feel if they're alone by themselves, if you're just checking their vitals, maybe just keep your hand on their shoulder, you know? And like she was like they lack and this was pre-covid. I'm talking about like 2011-ish. She was like people are like the generation is just sees it as like next, next and it's a time thing. It's a connection thing to Hey, what's going on, Barbara? Oh man, that's a great looking dress, whatever. And then you just like give a little back rub, a little shoulder rub, like something. Cause she was like, it's proven people feel better. Yeah. You know, but then you get the fucking extreme, like, oh, you're just a whatever the not, not what's the opposite of like a pedophile, but like, oh, you just want to assault old people in a nursing home. It's a sexual. And you're like, dude, I ain't trying to handle that hassle. So they just remove themselves completely. And they don't want to have this charge of yeah. inappropriate behavior. Almost like what you were saying. Like, oh, I won't hug everybody. But fucking people have intuition. Like, you kind of know, like, dogs bark for a reason. People can kind of know, like, when someone needs a little bit of a hug, man. It's human nature, the comforting. Absolutely. I saw a statistic, and I, I cannot say that this is a true fact because I didn't look it up anywhere reliable, but... It was something it was along the lines of, it was on Instagram. <laughs> Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but it was that, and I think it was actually a page from a children's book. And it said that um, we need 12 hugs a day to thrive. Oh. And like, I look at, so I don't know if it's true. It sounds like it could be, but I'll stamp it with a not fact checked. Um but I think it like, I do think we need physical touch. And when people are alone and sick and struggling, like it becomes even more important. Like you said, whether it's like holding their hand or resting your hand on their shoulder or patting them on the back. Dude. dude, so like in a sports sense, it's scientifically proving that winning teams touch more and it's encouraged because it's a vulnerability and an acceptance. It's it's like a duality, like symbiotic type relationship. And it might not be 12 hugs, maybe for like little kids because kids love hugs, but it's just like you need 12 physical affirmations, yeah. like a fist bump. Dude, you walk around a fucking middle school giving kids fist bump when they do shit that's good. They look for that. They're, they're like fucking trained. They're conditioned to be like, did good, get fist bump, did good, high five. And it's yeah. like- for some reason, they want that. And then all of a sudden, if you high-five one kid and another kid doesn't get high-five, they're like, whoa, I just did what he did, dude. Don't don't I get a high-five or some shit? And you're like, yeah, y'all get into this. I, I think, it might, I don't know. I don't know if clinical definition is 12, right? But like, the point is absolutely true. Yeah. And so, like with COVID, I went around... We weren't allowed to even give high fives. Like it was so so ridiculous. We had to touch elbows and all all kinds of ridiculous nonsense. But, um, but I do remember like going back to the point you made about your mom, when I was doing my, my very first clinical placement, it was my last day and my preceptor let me go into the room, the patient's room by myself. And I sat on the side of his bed. He was sitting there too. So I sat beside him. He was an old man. And he was telling me that he was scared to go home because he felt like he was 
easy prey for like financial scams, like door-to-door salesmen or people over the phone. And like, he was tearful and expressing concern. And so I just sitting next to him, I placed my hand on his shoulder just to like give him that sense of comfort and empathy or whatever energy exchange. And my preceptor was at the door watching me. I didn't know she was there. And afterwards she said, she said to me, it's frowned upon to make physical contact like that with our patients, but that was a really great use of therapeutic touch. And I was like, yes, like intuitively it felt like the right thing to do at the time. And I could feel him relax when I did that. Um, But like, that's what I mean. Like they, they put us in these boxes and say, you can't do this. And it doesn't feel like I'm practicing in a way that's aligned with my heart and my intuition anymore. Dude, well, the fucking rules are set for people not to get sued, right? It's it's a whole exactly. corporate structure thing. You look at a kid that's fucking wigging out over a test and they want to do well and their, and their anxiety's off the charts, their fucking knees bouncing, and you put a hand on that kid's back and you just go, tap, tap. Dude, it's going to be okay. Going to get through this. Versus you squatting there and being like, dude, this is going to be okay. There's something to that energy. It's almost like they're anxious, high energy. I can like take that from you because I'm calm at this moment. You're not, I can help you. Right? Like there, there's something, there really is fucking something to that. And it sounds like woo woo or it just sounds like decent (laughs) or it just sounds decent. You're like, you don't have to fucking overanalyze it. It's just, it's called comfort. There's comfort food for a reason and there's comforting for a reason. Mm-hmm. No one likes a fucking rigid couch, okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> you, you like to feel the couch. That's why it's comfort. Yeah. It's, it's awesome that like the, what what did you call them? I would have called them a clinician. clinician. So um, Proc- they call preceptor. preceptor. So they're like a clinical preceptor. I don't know. That sounds so fucking dystopian to me, man. Yeah, like it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, but like your preceptor, like it's it's awesome that they gave the company line, so that you know there's plausible deniability. Hey, I told this person that they touched too much, but they they like wink, wink, reaffirmed, good fucking call, kid. Yeah, yeah, and she was she was an awesome. I'll call her supervisor. She was an awesome (laughs) supervisor uh, in that way, but you know that comes up a lot and. And I mean, I work in an environment now where you step into 12 feet of a patient and sometimes they're like, you're assaulting me because they're just, you know, whatever. Uh, (laughs) And so you do have to be careful, but that's where you use your intuition and your, you know, you you can just feel the energy and when it's appropriate and and when it's not. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, Elizabeth, I have a feeling, you know, how the podcast ends. I may have listened to it a couple of times, but, have. uh, and because I feel like you may have planned and I don't know, but I don't want to be like crunched for time, but I'd like to wrap it up. So all that to say, we'll see if you're prepared. Can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile.
I actually didn't prepare. Stop. You're a liar. I didn't. You're just trying to to sound all fucking authentic. I I swear to God, I didn't. I knew that there was a a first something, but I I didn't put any thought into it. And it's funny because I, like for interviews, I prepare like all possible answers. And I didn't prepare anything for this. So my best first. So I want to influence you, but I don't want to influence you. I've, let me stay quiet. Let me go Elon on you. I'm going Elon on you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Zoom made us Elon first. each other like several times. God. That's very true. I'm trying to think of an example of, of something I haven't talked about. Uh, my best first. I know. The way I phrase it, I really need... It puts way too much pressure on people in this weird, like, I can't imagine you as a fucking lister, like the hierarchy all of a sudden you're like, Jesus, is that my best? Could it be another best? But I always just thought of it as like, what's a really cool first experience that would be a really neat thing. That's the last thing people hear when they get to know you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I'm going to go back to something I've already talked about. My best first was absolutely the first night dive I ever did. That was like, Jesus, dude, to go back. A couple people have done that. And it's neat to like, now that you're a little more comfortable, like speaking with somebody, like to dive into it. Because I don't know, man, like it it clearly had to be super transformational. So go to like the boat, go to like the scoot out there, go to putting on the fucking wetsuits, the scuba gear, go towards how cold the water was, like, take me, take people there. Um, why was that your best first? So I, I think it was beyond the gearing up. I mean, the gearing up, there was all kinds of anticipation and that anticipation creates like so much tension in your body. Ask any version. And then, yeah. <laughs> True. My best or my first time was not the best there. Um, <laughs> it never is. That's because of all the no. fucking tenseness. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah. So we, there was a group of us that went, we were getting geared up. This is in Cayman Islands. And we had to essentially do like a giant stride off the side of this, uh, I don't know, I guess seawall into the ocean. So we do this giant stride in the dark with our flashlights and it's fucking pitch black everywhere. And uh, we go down and it was, Wait, you're not on a boat? Did you say we didn't do? We did a shore dive, so we. Oh. Yes, yeah, so you can do night dives from a boat as well, right. but we did it from the shore of this resort that we were at, and so you, we got in the water, and initially, you know, we're sitting at the surface, and then we go, we start to descend, and we start swimming through, and I start to get out of my head and start paying attention to what's around me because when you're diving, you're really focused on your breath. It's like the best form of meditation out there because you have to focus on your breath. Um, so I'm focused on my breath, not really paying attention to what's around me. And then I look up and I have my light shining out and I can just see like the humps and shadows of the reef for as far as I can see, which really isn't that far because it's pitch black and I'm using a flashlight. Yeah. I was wondering um, like the range. So I think of a flashlight and this is super fucking stupid science geeky, but like, the density of water has to limit the range of a flashlight compared to air, right? 
Yeah. And it does like, and when you have like poor visibility, you might see two feet in front of you, but oh my God. In, yeah. In the Cayman islands, like on a clear, in clear water, you can see pretty freaking far. So at night we probably could see 20 or 30 feet. Okay. Um, and just swimming through and does the moon, I'm sorry, I shouldn't interrupt your story, but I'm also no, wondering okay. like, so I'm like, if you go out at night, you usually have stars, moon that at, what would that be like, like ambient noise, ambient light. I don't know if that's the right. Term. Yeah. Do you get any of that in there? Or if it's not within the beam of the flashlight, it just looks literally black. When you're closer to the surface, you'll get a bit of ambient light. But if you go deep enough, you start to lose the light of the surface. And even when you're diving during the day, you lose a lot of light and you'll actually see changes in the colors um, as you go down. So like red starts to look brown because there's just that loss of light in the environment around you. So at night, it's you don't really see much ambient light. Um, But I remember going down to the, the ocean floor. We were probably... 20 or 30 feet deep at this point. And we all stuck our flashlights against our chest so that the light would go out. You don't want to turn them on and off because that you can risk like flooding your flashlight that way. So we stuck it against our chest to block the light and you start to move your hands in the water and you can see all the phytoplankton starting to light up. Oh no shit. They're like bioluminescent. And it's like, Oh my gosh. It's, if you, I don't know if you ever watched the movie The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, dude. And how there was all like the glowing stuff in the water. Yeah, yeah. It was like that <laughs> all around us. And to experience that in real life is pretty amazing. And then seeing these fish surrounded in mucus that they've created for themselves to keep themselves safe. And you shine your light up to the surface and you see like three feet long tarpon fish that are hunting but they're in like swarms above your head. Like it's just, yeah. And then when you surface and, you know, everybody's just full of excitement and you can see the moon and it's like big and bright and the whole experience is just amazing. Yeah. It's, um, um, why the fuck do we care that plankton light up? Right? Like, I don't know. Why do you give a fuck? But dude, who doesn't want to go out to a country field and grab a light bug? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's somewhat the equivalent of like, you're like, whoa, that's fucking neat. God. And the plane. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, now we're more excited by like the alert on our phone or. Oh, geez. Ding. Oh my God. I got 12. Yeah. Oh my God. Fuck that. Um, I'm just. I don't know. I was thinking of the the plankton and the goober in me. Are they like everywhere, everywhere? Are they swarms like gnats where there's like little pockets? So if you like, because they, they only glow when they're disturbed, right? So you have to disrupt their, whatever they're doing, right? So do you find your, when you were there, I don't know, like how large was the swarm, if that's the right word, of plankton or were there little like pockets that you wound up discovering? I would say there was like small pockets and they were, we had to be pretty close to the ocean floor to get them. So if we just like, were kind of like hovering mid ocean, we wouldn't see them as much. Um, They were often like in the sand and stuff. So kind of shake them up and then just you just like shake your hands really quick and they start lighting up like crazy God. 
Yeah, that would be pretty neat. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a sense of control. I, I don't even know if it's meant. Maybe it's something that's not meant to be expressed, but experienced. Yeah. You know, it's just something about being in the present moment like that. And just ex like, again, you can't really put it into words. It's, yeah. it's just a thing. God, dude, is it going to be like heroin for you or Coke where like you're chasing the high, you're chasing the dragon and you never meet it again? Or do you think when you hit these other bucket list spots, they're all gonna, almost like children, hopefully, where like they're equal, where you just love them all equally? Uh, I, so I've been to a few different places and I don't think I love them all equally, but they all give me the same sort of rush. Like scuba diving is a fairly risky activity. Um, so you get that natural adrenaline rush every time you do it. Um, but I don't think I've seen the best there is to see. And I definitely am chasing it for sure. So you're chasing the dragon. Yeah. I yeah. just thought about that compared to like, if you skydive, right? Like, so you should have a safety shoot, but for like scuba, do you have like a safety oxygen tank do you have like a spare mouth guard that can get you like 30 seconds to just fucking float up and drop your weights or something in theory so yeah there's always redundancies in, in diving for safety so you have two regulators so your mouthpiece um and then you always dive with a buddy so okay. and you're you know one if you start running out of air because you're not paying attention to your own then uh, or you have a leak or whatever you've got your buddy close by that you can rely on them. And if you're solo diving, then you'd have a pony bottle, which is like a spare tank okay. that you carry with you in case your main tank fails. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. man. Like that's, that, that'd be an interesting, just weird debate. Like what's more dangerous scuba diving or skydiving? Cause not only do you have the survival, but like with scuba, you have the environment you're in versus skydiving. Like, fucking eagle is not going to mess with you on your way down you know like yeah. you're okay you might catch a seagull ass to the eye but like it's not going to be hard harmful but i would think not but like the shark element the eel element even like whatever a fucking squid somewhere that gets a little aggressive like i mean like there's that i wonder if that's why it's so cool because it is a little it triggers that like survival part of you yeah, that could be part of it. But like, I'm a pretty risk averse person. And the thought of jumping out of a plane terrifies me. I don't like, I don't know if I could ever skydive. Seriously? After? Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like you, I'm afraid of heights. I feel like you have to. Well, you're not high up your level with the plane. So that's the first thing to realize that. that, right? Like, I mean, you don't get in elevators. How high have you been in a building with an elevator? Oh, I don't know. Uh... I don't know how tall it is, but like the Calgary tower, which has a glass floor and I like jumped on the glass floor and stuff, yeah. but I feel like in, jumping out of a plane, I would be, I'd be the person they'd have to peel off the floor and like throw them out. Yeah. Now, did you go tandem? You just, you basically no, I, tape yeah. yourself to somebody and then they make the choice for you. And you're just yeah. flying. It would be really interesting though. You're not interested at all to be like, what would the feel of skydiving be compared to scuba? That's not an intrigue for you. It's it's becoming more of an intrigue. I watched a, a show the other day. It wasn't on skydiving, but it was on mountain climbing. And this guy had climbed, I think, 14 mountains that were over 8,000 feet above sea level. 
And so watching that, I could feel that, like, I don't know, that, I don't know if it's butterflies or the rush in the stomach kind of thing. And I feel like that would be a huge thing with skydiving. And I enjoy the excitement of that. I enjoy roller coasters, but it's that initial part. I think the free fall and all that would be awesome. And I'd love to experience it, but it would be the getting myself out the side of the plane, taking that leap. I, I don't know, man. I, it might be one of my bucket list things just to, to get the view, the slow view of dropping. It's almost like that drone view. That is why everybody fucking uses a drone view because it's so unique. The perspective to just be above the world and see is, um, it's the same thing that when you're talking about like scuba diving, like you're like, wow, I'm the only person on the planet that's experiencing this location at this moment. And it's very rare. Like that has to be part of it too. The selfishness of people to want to have like exclusive experiences. For sure. (laughs) Right. Dude, that was awesome. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on, dealing with a shit ton of technical difficulties. That sucked. But you were a fucking trooper, man. I, um, I really appreciate you being open, honest, and um, just shooting the shit and letting people get to know you. And um, I don't know, all your knowledge, <laughs> the plethora, <laughs> the buffet of uh, experiences, man. It was really cool. I'm glad we got to uh, chit chat. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out and giving me the opportunity to kind of reintroduce myself after the last year or so of growth metamorphosis metamorphosis (laughs) do you think are you gonna like try to pursue like a podcast thing or i mean like are you just like ah it's still kind of awkward for me i wanted to try it out but nah (laughs) i don't know i've thought a lot over the last again last year about different podcast things like could i do a podcast what would podcast have be and uh it's definitely something that's crossed my mind a bunch of times so maybe i should peek behind that curtain a little bit more yeah it's funny because it just gives you a weird ass excuse the more i think about like why do i keep up with my podcast hobby it's like i i think i crave access i crave access to like exclusive scuba diving and seeing some cool shit it's like dude i can have an excuse to have a conversation with some really cool people and like get some insights into really neat topics that, um, I don't know. I don't know if you normally get like without the stimulation, it, it gets to be like an intimate experience, man, where you, especially if you get somebody like, dude, I've done podcasts where like motherfuckers are like driving home and all of a sudden like, it's clear they didn't realize like, Oh, this is a long form thing. Like, yeah, I got 20 minutes. Let's roll. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I like, I almost never post them because I'm like, it's, it's not the vibe, you know, I'll message them later. Um, yeah. But I think like for me, that's kind of the cool part is the, uh, the like you just get to have a, an in-depth moment. You get to go deep, deeper. So I really yeah. appreciate you, um, I don't know, allowing that to happen, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. All right, dude. And I'll be uh, seeing you through social media. <laughs> Sounds good. And then I'll send you links to the uh, real estate groups and stuff. Oh, yeah. Shit. That'll be, man. I'll either love that or hate you forever 
because I lose <laughs> like 15 grand. And then I'll be like, I'm never trusting a Canadian again. It's over. <laughs> I'll just say sorry and we'll be all good. That is true. Here's some syrup. <laughs> all right, man. Enjoy the rest of your night. Jay, take care, son. Bye. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.